Welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John Campbell. And I am Mike Gurgoni. Oh, Gurgoni, we are back. This one's a, a, a little bit later. We've been on a bit of a hiatus due to uh, scheduling stuff, health stuff, all kinds of things that can prevent one from doing a podcast. I was on the other side of the country. You couldn't use your mouth. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. But anyway, we're back now, and we're here to talk about Star Trek. What? Uh, John, yes. do you like Star Trek? I've I've always been unsure about your temperature on Star Trek. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. Yes, <laughs> Star Trek, the other Star franchise that I occasionally get to talk about. No, we've always you and I. There's the Venn diagram where we're both we we love both of these franchises, but like uh, much like the uh, the Donnie and Marie song, I'm a little bit Star Trek. You're a little bit Star Wars. It's true. Uh, uh, we both love both franchises, but I think we each lean slightly towards the other one. Yeah, and like, look, that's just a matter of personal taste. It's not necessarily sure. that there is this long-running gag in nerd culture of like, well, you can either like one or the other. It's cats or dogs. It's uh, yeah, it's Star Wars or Star Trek. And that's always been stupid because, I mean, my attitude has always just been like, why miss out on good stories in, in you know... It's the DC versus Marvel thing. You DC right. or Marvel? Like, um, I lean a little bit Marvel, but I love a lot of DC. You know, sure. it's yeah. sort of like, yeah. and and once again, I just look for good stories. So why would I? The idea that, and I don't, I don't. Do you actually know anyone who's like vehemently? Like that's always a thing I get where where it's sort of like uh, I, I never meet anyone who's like, no man, I won't even consider it. If. I have met people who are like that, but it is only through the dint of that perspective on all of nerd culture, not necessarily Star Wars versus Star Trek. It's like, no, I've met people who are like, well, those are just silly space stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 an interesting thing. I just don't understand the idea. It's like, if I hear something's good, I'll check it out, probably. Yeah. Like, that's sort of the thing where it's like, oh, this is good Star Wars? Yeah, let's check it out, man. If this is good Star Trek, I'll check it out. Right. And... Those voices, I feel like, are, uh, let us call them diminished in, yeah. uh, let's say, the last 20 or so years, especially in the last 10 years specifically, when a lot of the mo monoculture is all owned by Disney, and they're producing all of the, the Marvel or the Star Wars. Right, uh, right, 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 right. Yeah. One, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, Star Trek is one of the only science fiction franchises Disney doesn't own now. Right, exactly. And that's what makes it such a, a interesting counterpoint to what we might normally get as the the run of the day sci-fi, where it be your Guardians of the of the Galaxy or your Star Warses. Uh, Star Trek has always been off, kind of doing its own thing. It has, and it's also been you know it, it was a shared universe of interconnected things before Star Wars was right. I mean, like. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously that you start with the original Star Trek series, but then as soon as you make Next Generation and then Deep Space Nine and on and on and on, you get all these different pieces of it that are like uh, an ongoing world, uh, you know, that got there before. Now that's now we do think of Star Wars as that, um, but right. it was only that through like novels and comics like we cover on this show. Well, and I think Star Trek made that jump kind of eminently when it became a film franchise, even before we got the true. other shows as well, right? This is true, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is Star Trek always sort of had this 
this ongoing it, it presented a world that was more it had all these pockets in it where Star Wars implied a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Trek, you know, went for it, and I, it's it's so interesting that now uh, the world, particularly current Star Wars, feels a lot more like Star Trek in that it's a series of ongoing TV shows mostly that connect yeah. over here, and you got to watch them all to get the full story. I mean, Star Trek was that was what Star Trek was in the nineties. Star Trek was always a franchise that felt like even if you weren't watching it it was going to keep going. Whereas Star right. Wars was a little bit more fixed points in time where for the longest time we had the six movies or the three movies or the, now we have the 10 movies, whatever, it's an interesting, 11, I think. But um, yeah. it's an interesting thing because I've, I've heard some people say this and, and, and people who, and, and by God, people online bitching about Star Wars, never. <laughs> uh, but no, but I do hear people talk about like Star Wars isn't special anymore. To which I'm like, yeah, like I don't, <laughs> I still love Star Wars. But you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's like, well, the second they started making the movies or shows consistently, yes, it's not ever going to be the thing where it's like they so rarely make Star Wars that every piece of it is this like tender morsel that I need right now. You just sort All of right. going like it not being special by their definition of of special. I'm like, yeah, but there's more of it, which, as you know, as as with anything, the more of it means the more we're going to be able to go, that was good, that wasn't as good, this wasn't that thing. And as a Star Trek fan, I'm like, right. dude, welcome to my whole life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you can point to, especially in the original series, like the noted decline in whether it be quality or actors giving a shit in that show. Uh, budget, yeah, I mean, it's all yeah, over the place. budget, yeah. it's all over the place. And especially when we're talking Star Trek, there's always going to be the people to be like, well, there's good and there's bad. You can take Star Trek as a whole, but there are episodes in isolation of every single series um, that are I mean, like, eh, there's some weakness in there. I mean, you know, Next Generation is probably my favorite TV show ever. And there are, you know, probably a huge chunk of episodes that are just unwatchable. <laughs> there are some rough ones, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, every Star Trek show has that. It's so interesting as we bring this up because uh, I just saw a post this morning that this last week's Star Trek Lower Decks that just aired mm-hmm. is the 900th episode of Star Trek related television that's been that's released in so the history cool. of the show. Yeah, 900 Star Trek episodes, which is <laughs> wild to think about. Well, and that was the thing for the longest time. Like, you asked anyone when Star Trek was kind of just coming back into the zeitgeist with the J.J. Abrams movies. You ask anyone about, like, the 90s TV shows and even the original series, and you, the uh, the common refrain was always, like... Well, you got to give it a couple of seasons for these shows to rev up, or you got to give it a few yeah. episodes, or like, okay, you can kind of skip around and here's the good ones. Whereas these days, I really do feel like we have hit the ground running, especially with these newer shows. Because uh, today we're going to be talking about Strange New Worlds primarily, uh, yeah. but we it's really tough to avoid talking about Lower Decks and Prodigy as well, uh, as well as Discovery, honestly. Um, and Picard, I mean, and to Picard, a certain extent. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, we're, we're definitely, the Star Trek has kind of returned in a lot of ways. This is something I did want to talk about, is Star Trek has returned in, in a lot of ways to where it was in the 90s, and even more so 
in the streaming world where there are multiple shows now and it does really feel like we're back in a Star Trek renaissance where for a while the franchise was you know Star Trek never went away but it was like during the that sort of uh once the shows were over and then we were occasionally making a, a Kelvin timeline movie it was kind of like well, Star Trek's a little you know a, a, a little light we were a little light on Star Trek and pop culture after we were I mean especially the era we grew up in and one of the reasons I became such a Trekkie, I think, was growing up in that era. It was everywhere. There were, you know, at certain points, three shows on TV, you know, and movies. Well, I think that the the Abrams movie through the Kelvin timeline movies through, I would say, probably Discovery. There was this attempt to kind of reinvent the wheel where Star Trek is concerned. The, with some the, outliers the, here and there, but... The, the This Ain't Your Daddy Star Trek. Yeah, and... We're now living in a time, though, where I think a lot of the people making creative decisions for Star Trek are more in a position like, look, what is it people like about Star Trek? It's not bombastic action. It's not like incredibly heightened, dramatic personal stories. It is this sort of more like workaday sci-fi that people gravitate to when it comes to Trek. I think the, the, the thing about it is, and, and what's always separated the, the two star franchises, right, is that the the Star Wars is an epic, right? It's a, Yeah. It, I mean, the, the people talk about, is it even really sci-fi? It's space opera, whatever you want right. that, right? It, it's, 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 it's grand. It is epic in scope. Even if you're telling smaller stories within it, they are part of this huge, massive story that is happening and it's elemental, right? It's 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 literal good versus evil. Whereas Star Trek is very human. It's complex. There aren't what what are the easy you know? There's no clear morality. Often you're choosing between bad decisions, and and it's really I always talk about Star Trek at its core is people sitting around a table going, "What are we going to do?" <laughs> uh, one of the things I have marked as like one of the things I think makes Strange New World specifically a great Star Trek show is there are so many scenes where we cut to just Pike sitting in his ready room behind a desk and he's talking to someone about what just happened and how Mm -hmm. like the situation they're bouncing ideas off of each other and Anson Mount is such a good actor and so is the entire cast of Strange New Worlds that no matter who he's talking to there's always this sense of gravitas but also he keeps it light enough that it's like look we're talking about this because it's stuff we have to deal with every day but I also like respect you as a person enough that I want your ideas and input it's really wholesome In a way, Star Trek is to me it's it's a workplace show, but it also always has to be about a family too, mm-hmm. right? Like it is about this group of people, and you come to love them. I mean, that's one of the things. And I think it being a show always had this over, uh, you know, up to now uh, or up to recent years of Star Wars. Right? Was it being a show? Was you just got to live with these people day to day to day in a way that you didn't in Star Wars? Um, so it is sort of that thing about like, not only when Pike is saying, do I respect you people and want your opinions? We as audiences know these characters so well that we're going like, oh, I bet they're going to say that. Oh, that's an interesting take from that person. They really start to become, uh, friends of yours, right? And in, in, in a way that a good ensemble TV show can't. And that's another thing too. Star Trek is inherently an ensemble. I think one of the biggest and I'm not here to bash on Discovery. I want that stated now. I, I'm not a fan of Discovery, but I'm not here to bash on. But I think one of the and yet 
Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think one of the interesting things about Discovery when they first created it was they're like, we're going to do something they've never done before. We're going to make a Star Trek show with a single protagonist. Hmm. And I would argue maybe that wasn't a great call. Like, you know, I mean, not, not that you couldn't do it, but even Star Trek Picard is still like an ensemble show. Even a show where the main character is in the title, it's still about how Picard interacts with other people. And I mean, not that Discovery doesn't have an ensemble around Michael Burnham, but like Discovery has a lot of problems that 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 are whether you enjoy it or not. It's just like it's very clear that is a show that has season to season radically changed what it is because it clearly has never like settled into a thing. Yeah, and I've never taken the time to like watch Discovery. I'm at this point, I'm sort of waiting for it to be done so yeah. I can just plow through it at a certain point. And it's so weird to me that I'm coming into Strange New Worlds with characters that were ostensibly created for Discovery uh, in some big ways. Yes and no, right? I mean, like, uh, most of the Strange New Worlds characters either existed in the original series in some capacity or were created expressly for Strange New Worlds. The characters around Discovery were Pike and Spock and number one, and I don't think any of the other Strange New Worlds characters were on Discovery. But what, um, I, what, I, what I meant by that is in the original series, and we can talk about, like, the origins of uh, the Strange New Worlds crew and kind of, like, yeah. how this concept of this crew came about, because I think it's yeah. fascinating. But those three characters specifically, uh, Young Hot Spock, uh, this version of Christopher oh, Pike, hunky. and number one are essentially new characters. Like, they have the names of pre-existing characters, they have a an end point that we're aware of, yeah. but we're having to fill in those gaps in a way that is so treacherous when it comes to prequels, in terms of like, okay, we know how this ends, so how do we tell interesting stories to get there? And it's essentially yeah. inventing a guy who has to grapple with the fact that he's going to end up in the beep beep chair. We have to fill in a character who is basically non-existent from a pilot that never actually aired in number one. Um, yeah. Number one is the, is the, is the character they can have the most uh, uh, like creative license with because she really has very little context. Although I know, and, and Hey, Hey folks, I, I, I'm a Trekkie. I know they're pulling a lot of stuff from novels and comic books that are about her. All right. Sure. So we're not wholly making up new stuff. Like all the stuff with her uh, and her genetic alterations, that all comes from novels that have been written about her and stuff like that. And and with Spock, they're dealing with such a, a character who has such a embedded legacy that they were afraid to recast him to such an extent in the J.J. Abrams movie that they just had their cake and ate it too with a time travel plot. Well, and I think the, the but I do, I think uh, so much working in Ethan Peck's favor. Uh, not only is he, is he great in the role, I think, but also in some ways Quinto took the brunt of like being the first guy to play another Spock. That it's sort mm. of like he can kind of slip in. It's the George Lazenby effect a little bit, where it's like <laughs> you ripped the bandaid off of somebody other than Sean Connery being James Bond, so that Roger Moore didn't take all that flack. You know, so that's, like uh, I think that's a very good comparison, actually. Yeah, because it is sort of the thing where it's like, and I think most people like what Quinto did, but it's sure. sort of like he had the like, oh, you think you can be Spock? But like once the precedent is set, other people can be Spock. There was considerably less arms folded reaction to a new Spock and and, and also a, a, a new Kirk as well. 
that mm-hmm. all of a sudden, uh, aside from some people I know who have issues with this Kirk, uh, Brendan Jones, uh, but um, <laughs> Brendan Jones, by the way, friend of the show, Brendan Jones, who I will say so wants to hate Strange New Worlds but loves it, but is so just like, they shouldn't be doing this. It's a prequel. I don't want to do the stories before Kirk is captain, but also it's really good and I can't deny how great it is ever wrestling with this show. Well, and that's one of the things about Strange New Worlds that makes it such an interesting topic of conversation is that it is a Star Trek show that, A, hit the ground running in such a way that there was no growing pains, really, which is so rare for a Star Trek show. It is. I mean, I do agree with people that, like, it's the best first season of a Star Trek show uh, that's ever been made. No, There's no question. Uh, Because usually... Uh, every as you bring up, it's true. I mean, the famous thing is every Star Trek show you have to wait for season three, except for the original series. Right. Uh, every that one Star happened Trek, in reverse. That one happened in reverse. Where, yeah, exactly. It got worse <laughs> as like, uh, especially they they had their budget slashed every season, and people started to hate each other. Um, <laughs> looking at you, Takei and uh, Shatner, who are still sniping at each other right now as we speak on a Comic Con stage. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I just love these guys who are like in their 80s and 90s going like, well, he was a bastard to me in 1965, you know, um, but and look, it's not to diminish Lower Decks either, because that's a show that's been kind of running simultaneously with Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And obviously they've had that big crossover episode this last season of Strange New Worlds. But even that show had to get over the hurdle of this is a genre of Star Trek that's never really been done well outside of straight up parody. And that's like the continuous comedy. Right. Yeah. And that, well, I think that was that, that that certainly I think was the biggest of the, of the swings of these, right. In terms of like, we're going to take Star Trek. Yeah. Into a new genre, into a new stylistically, um, cause it's an animated show, but it's more in the vein of something like the Simpsons or family guy. And it sort of has these simple drawings as opposed to, you know, the previous Star Trek animated stuff has really tried to feel like a, con- you know, if you watch the, the, the seventies animated show, it really tries to be the next season of Star Trek. It isn't really, yeah. it's sort of like, this is how we can do it. Not let's make a Star Trek animated show. But it comes off because it's an animated show, feeling a little bit more stilted, a little bit more dry. Uh, well, it's, it's yeah, like it also, watching animatics. Uh, well, it also once again is the fact that they way the hell cheapened out on that animation on the sure. Show. And I love the '70s animated show because the writing is still really good. The problem is the animation is really lets it down. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I think that was a big thing. The other thing that Lower Decks has, and once again, not to diminish its success, but it's it, it is purposely designed as an outlier. The thing that is, it's the thing that, that that I've been consistently amazed by is how much it does feel like Star Trek. But it also is able to comment on Star Trek. So you talk about it kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too. It gets yeah. to be Star Trek, but also be a little bit above. And I think one of the keys to the success of that show is it's never too much above the material, but it's always a little bit above the material, right? Because it's always a little bit. You know, it's 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 it, what I love about it is clearly everyone on that show is a huge nerd for the thing. So it's them going like, right, you guys. So it's almost like a secret club where it's all like, come on in here. We, we've, we've seen all the episodes, too. Look at this thing, you know? Yeah. Well, when in the first season, they're mentioning Roga Danar as like yeah. the guy who beat Picard. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. going to be one of those like, OK, in 
truth, there is no way that somebody on a random ship in Starfleet knew about that one episode. But we right. can comment it on it as fans and be like, okay, we know there is this one guy who somebody in the writer's room like dug in his heels for. <laughs> right, right. Then, then that's that's the thing that's so great about it is this really... And that's why I always tell people, I always, I'm I constantly recommending that show. And I feel like I run into this less and less, but especially when it premiered, there was a like, dude, that's making fun of Star Trek. I'm like, no, it's laughing with Star Trek, not at it. That's right. the thing that's so amazing about it. And I really have seen almost nothing. We, You and I were talking about that just the other day that like, I, I really can't think of almost anything that exists that's quite like it, where like a franchise is commenting on itself in such a, uh, self-referential but loving parody manner it's not you know it's not a uh, uh, like a uh, zucker zucker and abrams film where it's you know mocking at it from the outside it's it's mocking something from the inside while also being a celebration of it it's really quite an amazing program i mean the closest thing i can even compare it to is something like 30 rock right that's like commenting yeah. on the snl life right. and but it, it, and that is so cartoonish in its presentation as well yeah, well, also, but like the the thing, the thing that's always the like uh, the 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 secret lower decks thing is like if you remove all the jokes, they're actually pretty good Star Trek stories, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing that it really it's 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 a really incredible show, and I also I think I've recommended it before, but if people uh, should be reading the Lower Decks comic book, which is excellent, mm. um, it's written by Ryan North, who also writes uh, who wrote a lot of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl at Marvel. Mm. Okay. Um, okay. It's a great choice for the lower decks aesthetic and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I think yeah, lower decks is sort of, the thing that I feel like people and one of the reasons we're talking about strange new worlds. We did we did an episode about Picard, which also like is sort of cheating, right? Because it's like they basically made more next generation, especially well, especially season three. Yeah. 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 So it's sort of like. You know, you talk about hitting the ground running. It's like, well, everyone comes in absolutely loving every one of these characters and the actors that portray them. So there's a lot of goodwill towards Picard yeah. from the start. Strange New Worlds. Well, Strange New Worlds is interesting because I was going to say it actually has a lot going against it on paper. But the other thing, Strange New Worlds wasn't meant to exist almost like they put those characters on discovery and then it was just that people liked them so much on discovery that literally fans are going like can we watch a show about them <laughs> so i mean in, in some ways the 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 success of stranger worlds makes mo a ton of sense because it was born naturally out of just people loving these performances on discovery and maybe even liking them more than the discovery characters that that seems to from what i've read online and like hanging out in star trek subreddits and just seeing people's reactions online and again that is just like the loud people who like to talk about things online are the people we're actually hearing from there so take it all with a grain of salt of but the consensus that i seem to be reading a lot of the time is that strange new worlds is the Star Trek show people have been wanting since Next Gen ended, right? Yeah. No, it it it, it does feel well, it's it's the first one of these that really feels like the next Star Trek show. Like it really mm -hmm. feels like it feels like the thing the Strange New Worlds gets so right is it just it it, it, it it's that thing people talk about in Star Wars too, where you go like 
this just yeah, it tastes like Star Trek, man. Like mm-hmm. it's a new thing. It's so made for now. Like it's the, the one of the big things is it doesn't feel regressive. Um but but it has the essence of Star Trek, I think, that people have been missing from. Discovery set out to be like we were talking about, it ain't your daddy's Star Trek. It's like this is Star Trek for the streaming age, man. It's darker, it's got more violence, it's not these are this isn't about a crew, man, you know. Season one, and by the way, spoilers for everything we're talking about, but it's like, season one, you think that's your captain? Nah, man, he's a villain from the Mirror Universe, here to fuck up the world. And I, a lot also, of the Klingons gonna, are all weird and different now, and they're going to be yeah. super violent. And if we don't, if we don't want to be here for an hour, don't bring up those Discovery Klingons. <laughs> with me. But I'm like, there was definitely a thing about like, no, man, this this is a new thing. And I think Strange New Worlds is so great because it's like, okay, well, uh, how can we be a new show for the streaming era, but still like maintain as much of Star Trek as we can? Like it, it almost feels like the writers of Strange New Worlds are going like, okay, but what is core to Star Trek? And then how do we take those things and make the modern version of them as opposed to just making that's the thing about discovery to me is and and once again if you love discovery I have I have nothing against you I have, I have, I'm not here to but it just never it never like satiated that Star Trek urge that I had and I was always and it's, and it was very I was I was more uh vehemently against it when it was the only Star Trek show running for a while and I was like god is this what Star Trek is now I have a much more like oh well Discovery's like it's a it's part of it it's over here I don't have to watch it because I don't like right. it and that was always the thing back in the nineties as well when you had something like Deep Space Nine that yeah. did try to break the mold in a similar way where it's like okay we're not on an adventure we're dealing with more like uh, stationary and like political intrigue and it's a war story and all this other stuff that Deep Space Nine is now vaunted for at the yeah. time what people and you can go back and like read articles in. I know magazines uh, <laughs> about people saying like this isn't Star Trek. No, it was very interesting. Yeah, and there were literally people going like, because that was the first one that was made without Roddenberry, mm-hmm. uh, and people were going like, "You waited for him to die, and then you destroyed his creation." And there was, and now it's interesting that yes, yeah, you bring that up. Now, D Space Nine is, I mean, I'm not going to say unanimously because who could, but like. It's such a common thing. It's like, actually, it's maybe the best show. Like, objective Of the 90s ones, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, people are just going like that. That really... that Because I think the thing that's so great about Deep Space Nine is it did break the mold of Star Trek, but not in a way that... that it, but it, it sort of opened it up, right? It managed to evolve Star Trek. It said, this can be Star Trek, which can be this. It, I think without Deep Space Nine, the franchise would have died out mm. much sooner. You know, I mean, I think that would have been the thing about it is D Space Nine proved you could do a different kind of show uh, and still be Star Trek. And so I think that was they 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 pushed the edge there. And it, and it and and like all those shows took a while for it to get really good. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, cause I, I have met people who go like, I don't know, man, D Space Nine's kind of boring. I'm like, hey, you got to stick with it. I'm telling you, it ends up. I mean, you know, eventually. You're in a war, man, and it's the most intense, fastest-paced Star Trek show. <laughs> and Cisco is maybe the most intense captain we've ever had. <laughs> oh, unquestionably, dude, Cisco. I mean, I people always talk about who your favorite captain is, and I have the nerdy answer of like, well, what's the situation? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, what are we talking about? Because if we're in a war, I want Benjamin Sisko at command of my fleet, you know? But if we're going up against a space anomaly, I want Janeway punching a hole. Well, I do. That's the thing I was talking about. Like, if you got to argue logic, you can put Picard in the chair. Right, right. And if you need somebody to come up with a totally insane thing, then you go to Kirk, right? Where it's like a guy who's going to come up with the like, well, this isn't technically what the rules say, but, you know, (laughs) Uh, but I was. Yes, like Janeway was the perfect captain to handle that situation. I don't know that anyone would have handled the, the hugely insane thing that Voyager was going through. Captain Catherine Janeway was exactly who that ship needed at that time. Like, uh, you know, spoilers for this season of uh, Lower Decks, though, it is the first episode of the season uh, is a huge homage to Voyager. Yeah, yeah, I I think uh, Ransom kind of like sums it up perfectly when he says it was Voyager, man. Shit got freaky. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One of those wacky Voyager solutions, you know, I mean, like, yeah, you know. And that's the other thing, too, is I do feel like Star Trek, uh, and, and even to a certain extent, this is where I still think Discovery fits in to a certain extent, right, is is like, uh, well, you know, they all have their own vibe, right? They're yeah. all within the franchise, but people have their favorites because every show has its own kind of vibe. And I think even as uh, uh, nostalgic as Strange New Worlds feels and so many people, and I've, I've seen so many particularly older Star Trek fans really embrace Strange New Worlds going like, oh my God, yes, they're going back to classic Trek, original TOS era. It still has its own identity. It doesn't just feel like more TOS. Well, because Strange New Worlds is pulling the magic trick of trying to synthesize 50 years of Star Trek, right? Yes. It's trying to be the platonic ideal of what people think Star Trek is, and it's kind of succeeding, which is the amazing part. No. Incredible, and also the the yeah, exactly. They're they're like star as we've talked. If, if I'm saying Deep Space Nine pushes the bend boundaries of like, okay, Star Trek can be this, then Strange New Worlds' entire series is going. If Star Trek can be all of these things, then let's do all of those things. Because and that's something I uh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, you talk about how like Deep Space Nine was a more like political intrigue and war story. Like Strange New Worlds has that. We have this ongoing like post war with the Klingons kind of story that's been playing out over two seasons uh we have voyager got like weird and freaky we have this ongoing gorn plot in strange new worlds that is like something straight out of hr geiger yeah yeah there's an alien invasion storyline happening in the background of the show but yet also there can be a musical episode within it and you don't go like what are you doing I love that musical. I, I've I heard mixed. I read mixed feelings about the musical episode, and I know yeah. there are a lot of like old stodgy nerds who would have never accepted a musical Star Trek. Uh, but sure. I absolutely loved that episode for just how wow. wackadoodle it was. Well, the thing the thing that comes up about this all the time, and I bring this up constantly, is like there's so much weird crap throughout Star Trek, and actually particularly in the '60s show. <laughs> that there's nothing I don't know that Strange New World they certainly haven't come close to this to me of doing anything is like whoa I don't know about this because they've managed to pull off every big swing and and even if there's been some mixed reaction never I never see any of the like vitriol really aside from people the, the people I see are almost just like the the couple people who I see who are uh, resistant to Strange New Worlds 
you know, and, and once again, I'm not saying they're insincere, but there does just seems to be just like, well, I no, I can't like this. I no. You know, it's sort of like if they won't, it's just like they're not meeting it on its own terms or something like that. Like there's mm. this sort of thing where it's like, I no, I've decided I don't like this. And and even if I think some of it's good, I still have to be like wrong. And those are the same. That's the same kind of thing we see in Star Wars or with the last Indiana oh, yeah. Jones movie where I just bring up where it's just like these are people who I think are so um caught up in in the feeling that star trek gave them and it's just like well i'm not eight years old seeing it for the first time so it's never going to be that and it's just like well that makes me sad because like it's just never going to be that people are always i get it's like they're so caught up in the nostalgia that when they don't get that you know intense burst of nostalgia in everything it's sort of just like yeah but it's, it's almost like they're looking for something that maybe never even existed they're looking for their memory of experiencing a thing when they were much younger. And yeah, I mean, that's not something Strange New Worlds can deliver for them, but it's no. something that Strange New Worlds is giving people who are coming to Trek right now. Absolutely. I mean, I think the thing about the thing that's so great about it as sort of the because I sort of feel like it's become the flagship show of this Star Trek era, right? Yeah. I mean, like it is the. Right, I mean, there's there's all these pieces to stuff. You know, I, I look at Picard, which I just love, of course, but, like, those are... I basically look at particularly season three as, like, that That feels more like the next next generation movie than it feels like a new Star Trek show. Like, it, right. feels, it feels like an event. You well, know, it's, I, it's, I, I have aired my overall grievances with Picard on our reviews of those shows, so I won't retread them here, but, like... Especially that last season felt like the fulfillment of the promise when you call a show Picard, right? Well, I think the, what, what's interesting about season three of Picard is it felt like they they were so clear in the beginning that they're like, this is not, this is a new thing, all right? This is not Next Generation season eight. And then season three was like, okay, well, it's, it's kind of Next Generation season. They were still like, it's not, but it's sort of like, but I think, I think... Because I think they 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 got under them from those first two seasons of confidence, and they could run a new thing, mm-hmm. and so they were more willing to embrace the things they were scared of. It just and I get the impulse where it's like we don't just want this to be nostalgia play, and they managed to do something that was nostalgia play while still actually pushing things forward, and that's the magic of season three of Picard, right? Is it it does bring back everyone, but it, it actually does feel like an advancement. Of our characters, as opposed to just going like, remember this? Remember him? Well, the fact that seasons 1, 2, and 3 of Picard are also the 7 of 9 show in such a yep. big way uh, is one of the strengths of that series. Well, it's, like, it's also stealthily a Voyager sequel. Well, and, 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 also, and then when we get into season 3 and we do it with the Changelings, then it becomes a Deep Space Nine sequel, too. Like, yeah. it's sort of the thing where it, it really did feel like particularly for i think for our generation of star trek fans that show really continued not just next generation but continued what 90s star trek was that sort of run of shows that were so that were so interconnected anyway right they were all telling stories within the same timeline in the universe so i think uh that and and what's interesting is there's much like we were talking about strange new worlds came out of the popularity of these characters on discovery there's now a huge fan push to continue the adventures of seven of nine as the captain with that crew we saw in season three of picard as a show which i would love to see 
And, mm-hmm. and you know, the showrunner Terry Metalis has talked about, like, oh, I know exactly what that show is. That's he awesome. goes, all, all he goes, just let Paramount know. He goes, because I'm up and ready to go on that show. I mean, and I think that show will happen because they're constantly tired. Of it. No one wants it more than Frakes. Frakes is always out there going, <laughs> dude, I want to be in there, man. He, what if Frakes says? He goes, I want to be the Charlie to their Charlie's Angels. <laughs> just they get, they he goes, he goes, just have Riker pop in, give him a mission, and then phew, I'm out of the, you know. That's Frakes great. always wants one day of work. <laughs> hey man, Frakes is such the, such a backbone of Star Trek. It's true uh, that he. I mean, the fact that he is—I don't know—at this point, he might have directed more Star Trek than anyone. It's possible he's certainly on his way to doing that because he directs on all of these shows. He directed the previously mentioned Lower Decks crossover episode was a Frakes directed episode. Um, he is. He is a, a a big part of the 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 creative sort of foundation of Star Trek these days. I will. I'm going to double check this while we're talking. But barring the original series, has he directed on every single series of Star Trek? Yes, that's wild and good for move. Him. And yeah, right. That's point. yeah. Uh, and and uh, and uh, yeah, and so yeah, he's no. I I think I think that's yeah. I I believe so. Um. So that's that's pretty that's pretty incredible and and like I said he's definitely a guy who I know that they and a couple talk- of episodes of the Orville because we'll count that too yeah yeah and the couple <laughs> of the Orville exactly well I mean aside from Star Trek he is like one of the most respected TV directors period um, he's directed a ton of stuff but um, and that's primarily what he is I mean he really he's talking about the acting is sort of a thing where it's like oh people want to put Frakes in something sure but like I just he doesn't seek out acting roles. Mm. Um, so, uh, but I think, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big thing too, and I think that also he's he's a real conduit to the fans, right? Because obviously, we have such fondness for Frakes that it's almost like, well, Frank says it's good, then it's probably pretty good, you know. Like, uh, and so I think they know that he's he's almost become like, you know, I, I, obviously maybe not to the extent of a Roddenberry, but like. He definitely is the guy who's out there doing a lot of the press because it's like, I am living Star Trek. Right. Yeah. And looking at it now, yeah, he did seven episodes of Discovery, one episode of Strange New World, six episodes of Picard, mm-hmm. uh, eight of Next Gen, three of Deep Space Nine, and three of Voyager. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, the, yeah, plus First Contact and Insurrection. Insurrection, yeah. And Where? one of the video games? What? Sure, I probably directed the cinematics for one of those. Um, you remember when they would do those like full motion CGI? Oh, oh my god, this was um, which the, one did you the, the Klingon, the Gowron video game. Oh, um, sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I love. I saw something where they were asking him about. Uh, he did the the Las. Remember when they used to have the Star Trek Las Vegas experience? Mm-hmm. And he's in that. And somebody asked him, he goes, I have no memory of shooting that. <laughs> he goes, they literally like pulled me aside from shooting Next Generation and was like, say these lines. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good for so, him. So, yeah, I'm always still bummed I never got to go to that because my parents weren't Vegas people. Mm. Um, so that was uh, uh, Something that, once again, friend of the show, Brendan Jones, often lords over me as he did get to go to the start. And he did the, he did the, he did, he got to go when they had the Borg experience, which I still, oh my God. Um, I've watched the YouTube videos about all that. And that sounds so cool, man. We're on a ship that gets taken over by the Borg. 
Well, and that's another one of the strengths of Strange New Worlds. You speak about Borg takeover. There is this impulse in Star Trek to play the hits, right? And sure. that's not necessarily a bad impulse, but it can be a little repetitive at times. That um, that I, impulse isn't bad, it's what you do with it, right? It's always this right. Thing. It's, it's the whole thing about the nostalgia stuff. And I think that's something that Picard did a good job of is finding new ways in each season to get the Borg in there. And do something different with that. I think Strange New Worlds has struck a great balance of playing to people's expectations about what we're going to see in a Star Trek universe that is more interconnected, that is more consciously connected to both the past and the present of the franchise, yeah. but also not like leaning on too obvious of things like if this show had been made 10 years ago i would have expected some and uh this is something that maybe like discovery is a little bit guilty of as well based on what i've read about it and what you've told me about it of just like okay this thing that will be a thing in the future we can never talk about it again because it's we're technically a prequel uh right, so right everybody right, right. shut up <laughs> yeah that was the thing about discovery was it 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 i think that i think one of the biggest mistakes discovery made from the outset was setting it before the original series hmm. because strange new worlds. One of the things about it, when, when people talked about like, Oh, another prequel, it's like, yeah, but this is, we know this is the case. This is nothing. This is no new information from strange new worlds about the idea that this was the makeup of the crew before the original series. Discovery is asking what you didn't know was there was this hugely important thing that massively connected to our characters and yet they never talked about it. And then literally, yes, at the end of season two going, that's because they were sworn to secrecy by Starfleet that they could never speak of it. Or It's just like, okay, well, that's, I, I, once again, if you like Discovery, I'm I, more power to it. But in my opinion, that's dumb. I find that to just be dumb storytelling. And one of the fun parts of Strange New Worlds is seeing this crew that we have now slowly evolving into the composition that we know from the original yeah. series. And that starts with Uhura, obviously, yeah. uh, played Who's by the, the eminently talented uh, Celia Rose Gooding. Um, He's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and they're doing the thing I like in a prequel where, and they're doing it with, with, with Uhura, with Spock, particularly with Spock. With Spock or, as well, yeah. Where you are starting these characters with shades of the characters we know, but they do feel like earlier versions. They don't feel like different characters. They feel like the same characters, but we know where they'll end up. So the the fun is, where do they falter in that journey to become the thing? Where are they struggling? I mean, that's one of the great things I love in the Lower Decks episode is all the hero worship for her and her just going like, I'm like a kid trying to figure out what I'm trying to do and you're telling me I'm going to be this awesome legend but right now i'm like 20 years old and a cadet who's you know <laughs> whomped by work and you know ruled by anxiety and you know it's just I, it, it humanizes these characters who we treat as myth because they are these mythical characters and they are that to the lower decks crew who are in the future and what i love is then the idea that the stranger worlds people worship the the original Enter archers enterprise right because those guys were awesome and so it's always this idea of looking back on the the pioneers before you and going like oh those people they ruled when if you were to go back and meet them they 
we're just doing the same thing too, man. Everybody's just trying to figure things out. Right. And what's what I really do appreciate about Strange New Worlds is we take characters that were kind of like sketches of characters. I think Dr. Mbenga is like the bi- biggest example oh, of this. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Dr. Mbenga was in one episode of the original series. Yeah. But like, and, he, and same with Nurse Chapel, honestly. Nurse um, Chapel, and Nurse Chapel was like a recurring character who was about in the original series. Yeah. But yeah. those are two characters who are just like kind of there. Mm-hmm. Don't really learn much about them other than Chapel has this previous relationship with Spock that right. isn't super discussed much. In no, the there's show. like a weird vibe between them in the original right. series. And it, I mean, and some of that was 60s television, right? Like, it's it, there's just they just weren't thinking in things like oh where well you know they they there's it's almost more like oh that's an interesting thing nobody then thought people think that's an interesting dynamic in this scene for them to have a past but it was never a thought of and then we'll set that up and we'll build it and we'll explain it later it's more just like that's dramatically interesting right now right but the uh, fact so, that we could take characters like that who have just like a sketch of yeah. a personality traits and backstory and really build those things into something dramatically interesting. I think the Chapel Spock stuff especially is mm-hmm. one of the more compelling ongoing plots in Strange New Worlds. And it has this aspect of, yes, exactly. Not only It helps it, that Jess Bush and Ethan Peck are amazing actors and Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that that I mean that, that's the thing. I mean across the board so much of the success of this show, as with any ensemble piece, is that everyone in this cast is incredible. Yeah. Um, across the board, they cast this so well. And then on top of that, then you add the writing and the directing, which are some of the best. That particularly the directing may be the best I've ever seen in Star Trek. Uh, it is so exceptionally well directed. Um, and I think that a lot of that is um, they're giving Star Trek the resources it needs. <laughs> which is kind of a kind kind of new for Star Trek, which is it's it's weird for Star Trek being this iconic, beloved franchise this last decades. Paramount never treated it like this, like Fox or Disney have treated Star Wars. It was always like, yeah, but how little can we pay for it? The fact that we've had two seasons of a Star Trek show and only had one episode that was filmed in a contemporary modern city yeah. uh, is a miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. Was like the 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 the. I, mean, I think that that's also part of my love of Star Trek was it was the scrappier franchise, right? Mm. I mean, Star Wars mm. always had the prestige and the money behind it, and Star Trek was always like, what can we cobble together for this much money? Um, because they are just not going to give it to us, man. Um, we have a bunch of uh, Civil War reenactment uh, people showing up. Well, that'll be a metaphor for the Civil War between the Qs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly. You're trying to what? What can we do on, that's already on the Paramount backlog? Um, you know, I mean, literally, that's where you get stuff like Piece of the Action, the original series, where it's like uh, they still haven't taken down those sets from the Untouchables show. Can we do like an old timey gangster planet? You know, and stuff like that. And it's they were just filming a, a, a Roman gladiator movie. Uh, yeah, there'll be a gladiator planet, you know, stuff like that. This Western mm-hmm. set still standing up. There was so much of that that was very much just about making television in the 60s going like, yeah, man, we just got to get a show out this week. That um, <laughs> I love when one of my favorite things this season on Strange New Worlds was the season two finale where they go down to the the, the Federation uh, refugee planet that they've that's been made to look like the 1950s. Yeah, 
<laughs> and I love it because I'm going like they are. And then I watch the because because I'm a, I'm a nerd for the stuff. I always watch the um, the after show, the ready room that Will Whedon mm. hosts, where they talk mm-hmm. about the making of each episode. And they they spent so much money building that 1950s town and the detail of it. And I'm going, you are now spending resources and detail to recreate a thing the old show did out of necessity, but they are doing it now to reference something the old show would have done because it was cheap, and they are now doing it in an expensive way because that's now in the in the language of Star Trek. And I just thought, and, that's and so cool. That necessity is why these characters exist, right? Because for yeah. a little bit of context for people, the, the character of Captain Pike... Yeah. was the captain in the original filmed pilot of Star yep. Trek. Cage. Uh, and the, the original pilot of Star Trek is one of the rare shows that got... Th- this almost never happens, where they shot a pilot and the network went, yeah, we don't really want this, but like, there's a kernel of an idea, so try again. That mm-hmm. doesn't happen. So they recast a bunch of people. They, they recast re- everyone except Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, Right. Uh, they like wrote a whole different episode and that is yep. what we eventually got. But yeah. the no pilot footage of the cage, that episode that was filmed still yeah. existed. So <laughs> at some point they needed to put out an episode. So yeah, they cut they, up that footage to make one it pieces of a two part of the menagerie where they sit and watch as I heard one of the podcasts I listened to talk about it's a Star Trek episode where you watch the Star Trek characters watch Star Trek um, <laughs> which is so weird um, but it's true because you basically do just everyone goes like everyone look at the screen now that's Captain Pike he's gonna you know, let's follow this adventure he went on um, uh, one thing that's, that's that's that I love about Gene Roddenberry um you know, in sort of this way, like how we talked about with this visionary creator and stuff like this, he was also very frugal and was always like, oh, we will, I will get my money's worth out of anything we did. Um, like, I don't know if you know about it, in the 1970s, before they made Star Trek The Motion Picture, they were already talking about bringing Star Trek back to TV for something called Star Trek Phase 2, hmm. um, where they were just going to reboot the show before it became, then when Star Wars came out, then that's when they thought, let's turn this into a big budget movie. But uh, they wrote scripts for Star Trek Phase 2, and most of those got gobbled into Next Generation episodes because they were already lying around. Like, Roddenberry never let anything go. If there was already something ready to go, he's like, I think I can reuse this. You know, so I think that that's where you get stuff like that. But without that, I don't think Pike would have any memory. In, he would It would just be a totally lost thing, right? Right. Yeah, it, if, that, if it wasn't for the fact that they reused that footage and contextualized that character as a piece of the Enterprise's story, it would just be yes. a lost pilot. Yes, exactly. And actually, yeah, an interesting thing that Strange New Worlds has that is something from the, the previously mentioned 70s animated series is that there was a captain before Pike, uh, Captain Robert April, who we now see as Admiral Robert April in Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that, the, that that Kirk is actually the third commander of this ship um, is something that, but once again, Robert April is introduced in the '70s animated series. So you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff like that where the context and history of this stuff, and of course, a lot of it comes out of as as this show is so much about, and we normally do just nerds remembering that shit, right? Yeah, 
Well, so much stuff between Strange New Worlds and especially Lower Decks have been pulling so much from the animated series. It's pretty wild to me that a show that was felt like an afterthought in a period where oh, we didn't yeah. know if we were ever going to get any more Star Trek uh, suddenly no, yeah, becomes was, like a, a deep mine of uh, content to be plumbed. The 70s animated series really existed in the purely because it's like the show be, become so popular in syndication after it had been canceled. And it really was just a scrambling to go, how can we bring this back? What, what can we do? And it was just sort of like, I guess like a cartoon show? Is that a thing? Can we... You know, it almost just felt like that's what we can do right now to cash in on this. Right. And yet, the, like, the first appearance of a holodeck is in the animated series. The only time Kirk ever says, beam me up, Scotty, is in the animated series. There's lots of stuff where you go, like, there's literally in the box set I have for the animated series, there's a whole essay about whether or not it's canon. <laughs> At this point, kind of? it absolutely is, right? Y yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, let me say there's... At least, there's there's more evidence that it's canon than there's not. That's for sure. Right. Um, they, so yeah. they pulled enough stuff, especially lower decks, especially. Yes. Yeah. Like when we see the, the the giant Spock skeleton in that collector's ship. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's there's key stuff like there's the whole episode yesteryear that's like the if you're going to watch one episode of the animated series, there's that which deals with Spock's childhood. Mm -hmm. And almost all of that stuff has just been continued to be proven that that's exactly what his childhood was like based on that one episode of the animated series. And the other thing was they brought not only the entire cast doing the voices in that, but the whole writing staff of Star Trek came and wrote on it. So there's really no reason other than it's an animated series to think that it's not canon because every the entire involvement of the exact... I, I look at it as season four of Star Trek. Sure. Um, yeah. Even if the animation's a little wonky. Um you know, it, it, it is, there's still great Star Trek scripts in there. No, totally. And so, like I was saying, How Strange New Worlds has kind of like synthesized all of these pieces yeah. into the platonic ideal of what Star Trek is. The fact that it is pulling it off successfully, I mean, an, uh, an often refrain from us is like, it's not a miracle that uh, 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 good movies are made. It's a miracle that any movies or TV shows are made just because that's, of how uh, that's they are. Yeah, exactly. Like it's the, the, the I think that's why I'm sometimes forgiving of stuff because I'm like, dude, the fact that they were able to make a thing is incredible, and then the, it being good is is even more of a miracle. So, uh, no, I think that's the thing that's amazing to me about, and, and also, not only it, it's synthesizing something that I mentioned the novels and comic books and stuff. People have been fascinated by Pike and this era of the Enterprise since that episode of the original series, The Menagerie. It's like once, once that, like with anything, it's in any of these franchises. Once there's past that's implied, you start to go like, well, "What's that?" I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's dropping the Clone Wars in the first Star Wars moment. You go like, "The hell's a Clone War? Tell me more." <laughs> you know, like that's sort of the thing where you go like, "So Pike was captain of the Enterprise for like ten years. Well, what were they doing?" You know, it's like, and and there have been, um, uh, I if if you enjoy Strange New Worlds, I recommend. Uh, and they have they have some nice collections of these. Uh, John Byrne did a comic called Early Voyages uh, in the '90s that I used to read. That was all about Pike's command of the Enterprise. And obviously, some of different the, crew, but some of it, some of it is the same. And some of the some of the stuff matches up with Strange New Worlds. I mean, like hmm. one of the things that I've enjoyed about this is if you are a fan of more of the expanded universe stuff, 
they 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 do pull from it. They do, you know, much kind of like the Star Wars stuff as well, where it's like, oh, that was a good idea that was in a novel somewhere. Like I said, the whole storyline this season with number one being on trial for having been genetically modified, that came from a novel. And that's clearly something where they went like, hey, there's a good idea. Let's just grab that, put that over here. Maybe the best episode of season two? I don't know. There's so many good episodes, but uh, it, it was really good. It's really good. I have a great love for being a fan. I mean, it, you know, it depends on what, what kind of Star Trek you love. I love the sure. Mabenga Klingon War episode. Because I yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that episode is dark as hell. And I think that's the thing that I love. When you talk about how this encompasses so much of Star Trek... The idea that that's sandwiched between the Lower Decks crossover and the musical episode, and it is <laughs> dark, really like bleak story of war. You know, it's so well balanced, the show in that way, where it's like, well, this one's going to be really dark, but next week we're singing, guys. You know, it's like, right. Yeah. And then the, we're going to have one that is like a, a mindful, grim contemplation on revenge, and it yep. will end with one of our main characters committing murder. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and then next week, uh, don't worry, everyone's singing and dancing. <laughs> but that's kind of what Star Trek is, because it was a show that was more episodic. Uh, and I remember them talking about this. This got me excited when they were just talking about doing Strange New Worlds. They're like, no, it's still going to be like Mission of the Week. The only difference will be, like, what happens to them will carry forward. Right, yeah. So, like, they're going on a mission, something will happen... And then that will like affect them for the rest of the season. I think we see that very much with the 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 time travel episode with Kirk and uh, oh. uh, and Laon. Where I, I, I want to talk about that episode in particular because it does something to Star Trek that I feel like a lot of big franchises are afraid to do. And I found mm -hmm. it so interesting that this show addressed it head on, and that is the whole timeline issue, right? Yeah. Because we're dealing with a show that's being that has been made for 50 years, there are going to be certain anachronistic uh, pieces of dialogue that we just have to live with. When somebody says that Khan was a warlord during World War after World War Three in 1992, yeah, <laughs> the eugenics like, wars, yeah, right. Suddenly, once we are making a show in 2023 and we've never had a World War III or a Eugenics Wars or a Khan Noonien Singh rising above as Lord of the Augments, uh, suddenly we have to address that. Uh, yeah. A lot I, of shows, I think, would make the decision just to not. It's an interesting thing. I saw somebody, there's, there's one guy in particular who... I actually it doesn't matter if I name him. Robert Meyer Burnett is a guy who's been talking about Star Trek for a long time. Mm. Um, and he's a guy who I vehemently disagree with. He's a real keeper of the old guard in Star Trek. He's a guy who says, there hasn't been good Star Trek made since Enterprise. Um, that's it. The The franchise is over at that point. And it's just like, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I feel sad for you, but that's okay. But he, he, he took particular exception with that because he's like, so canon means nothing then. Once they once they move the eugenics wars forward, then the whole thing is is ridiculous and none of this matters anymore. Yeah, and it's weird to say that about a show that's fictional. So <laughs> I don't know how to grapple with that statement. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, but he's but he's going like because Star Trek 
takes place in an alternate world, so that then the eugenics wars did happen in the nineties. Yeah, and, I'm and like, that would have that, been one way to address it. But the fact that this episode in season two tells us that there's now a sliding timeline that like the time travel bullshit we've seen across dozens of episodes of Star Trek and the movies and everything else has irrevocably fucked with time in a way that we can't quite comprehend because we don't have the big picture, but it has changed things. Well, and also it's just sure. And it's also just like, cause that, cause exactly as you pointed, that didn't happen. So right. Like I, I, I never, I always assumed that I, that those dates were wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of the thing where you're watching, when I watch the 60s, it's the same thing when, when you watch the pilot of the original Lost in Space show, it's like 1997. You're just like, no. <laughs> just, you, you know, you take, it's, it's the, it's, it's the, it's also like the, why do the, when they tried to, we always talk about, you and I love talking about the Enterprise episode where they tried to explain why. The Klingons look different, and it's yeah, just like the, the you, augment virus stuff. Yeah, you know, you don't need to do that. We right. understand that, like, you only had so much money. Then later, you had more money and better makeup, and you did that. You yeah, know, once once you were making the movies, you could afford forehead ridges. We get it. Because I mean, there, there's always then people bring that up too about like, well, why are the effects better and the technology? One of the things I love about the design of Strange New Worlds, though, is they've really found this cool hybrid between. It is future tech, but it still kind of functions like the 60s show. They still have the like jelly buttons on consoles and stuff <laughs> like that. So that it is like, oh, yeah, it's it, it does feel like a modern sci-fi show set in the future. But there's still enough DNA of the 1960s futurism in there, which I but think is so Flipping great. open the communicator is the best part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that, that, exactly. There's that kind of thing, right? Where it's sort of like there is... There's anachronism in the retrofuturism of it, right? And th- just embracing that, because once again, it's just like, well, that's just the DNA of Star Trek. That's what Star Trek looks like. You know, it's not, we, there are just some things, but because I remember people getting bent out of shape about Enterprise. Why is the technology better in Enterprise than it was in the 60s, you know, which is supposed to be set after? And you're just like, they made it now. I don't know. You know it's like, <laughs> there are some things where, it's so interesting for people who love like fantasy and sci-fi and all this imagination stuff that you can't just like tune your imagination to go like, oh, well, this just is going to make sense to me because I just have to accept it. You know, I mean, it's like a sort of thing where you go like, I'm always fascinated by the hurdles some fans of stuff can't jump over when it's like, but like you, you're so willing to embrace all this insanity and then it's just like, but why? It's like, because you know why. I mean, I think that's always what I come back to. It's like, you you know why. Star Trek, 30 years from now, Strange New Worlds will seem dated. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, as this franchise goes forward, it's always going to date itself. I mean, people always talk about there's nothing more 80s than the fact that there's a goddamn therapist in the command seat on Next Generation. <laughs> the counselor is sitting next to the captain. That is such a late 80s vision of the world. And that has be, like retroactively been fitted into like, okay, well, whoever's sitting next to the captain is just the appropriate uh, staff member for that mission or whatever. Right. And it just right. happened to be a lot of diplomatic stuff that Picard was dealing with. But yeah. Well, we talk about this in Star Wars that like Star Wars will always carry some late 70s vibe to it. In People the are going to have mustaches. The buttons are going to be way too big. 
That's what I mean. It's always just like you can't escape here. So there's always going to be, especially when you're dealing in the Kirk era like this, there's always going to be a little bit of that Kennedy era space exploration, you know, 1960s rockets to the moon kind of aspect mm-hmm. uh, to Star Trek. It's always built in that. And I think that's one of the things I love so much about Strange New Worlds is it really does return to that we are exploring the galaxy. It is the final frontier. And I think I think while I love Deep Space Nine, I do think because Deep Space Nine was so good, there's been a lot of attempt in modern stuff to be like, we need to be more like Deep Space Nine because that was dark and serious and that's what people want. And Strange New Worlds proves you can be dark and serious while also being fun, funny, swashbuckling, you know, big crazy adventure show, weird alien shit. Um, well, and have like classic Star Trek episodes that are just purely literary references, like yep. the the Lotus Eaters episode. Yep. This, which was like just okay. Let's do an Odyssey adventure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what if what if Pike was Theseus? Let's do it. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and then season one has that whole fairy tale episode. Yeah, which I, I love when when Star Trek can do. And that episode is a perfect example. The fairy tale episode is a perfect example of like the hell's going on and then by then you're like oh wow this is actually very well thought out and based around emotion and character work right and actually there is a reason they're doing this and i think the other thing that star trek really benefits from in the streaming era is there's 10 episodes right one of the things one of the reasons there's so much bad star trek is they had to make like 27 episodes of the old shows of course some are going to be terrible that's no way to make anything Sometimes Janeway just needs to play out a weird Victorian romance ghost oh, story. God. <laughs> I love Janeway, but if that's what she wants to do in her free time, God, she's a boring lady. We don't uh, need to see Harry Kim playing his clarinet sometimes. Oh, man. I do love that they had Harry Kim's clarinet in that Lower Decks episode. Actually, does he play the clarinet or does he play the oboe? I always get those two instruments confused. I think he plays the clarinet, but let me... I think it. I think it's the clarinet. I'm making so many Voyager references because I'm in the middle of a Voyager rewatch right the, now. Okay, I confirm. It is the clarinet. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Voyager rewatches are Voyager is the most. Uh, there's some great Voyager, but I feel like Voyager never quite settles into a pocket like the other ones do. There's always a lot of ups and downs in Voyager. Yeah. There are some great. I mean, I love Voyager, and a lot. Like like with most Star Trek, a lot is done by that cast because I love that cast, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of goodwill I have towards those characters. But there are times in Voyager where you're like, "What were you guys doing?" Voyager suffered from, I think, the most of because it was the last of those. Is just like talking about having to play the hits. It's just like I really got the sense that writing staff was like, oh, "What have we not done? Like we've done so much Star Trek at this point." Yeah. And you're just like, I don't I don't even know anymore. Sometimes your captain and your pilot get hyper evolved into salamanders, have sex and have a bunch of babies on a weird alien world. You know what? Sometimes just shit gets free. Yeah. That <laughs> episode is often brought up as I would say almost everyone would have that in their bottom five episodes of the whole franchise. But alternatively, you have an episode where the Hollow Doctor is trying to synthesize a new personality out of historical figures and creates the like Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, supervillain version of himself, and that episode's awesome. That's a, well, I always say stick if you stick to the Doctor episodes, you're pretty much going to be doing because most of the Doctor storylines are really fascinating because he actually is 
a really interesting creation of Voyager. The mm-hmm. idea of the, the the sentient hologram, who's almost forced to become sentient out of necessity because of his place in the show. Yeah. Um, you know, and, a, and and then when you get to Seven of Nine, is also an interesting, you know, former Borg character. So, like, that, there's tons of great stuff in Voyager. I'm not slagging up Voyager. But it definitely did feel the most, like, I gotta make 28 of these things, and we've done everything <laughs> in the possible with this universe at this point. I mean, that was what led to Enterprise, right? It was like, how do we shake things up? Let's go back to the very beginning of this thing, because we just need to do anything that feels different. Right. And part of what like you were saying, Strange New Worlds has the benefit of having 10 episodes a season. Mm-hmm. We know kind of the, the broad strokes of the story they're trying to tell, whether in the like first season it's a let's get our feet under ourselves season, let's get everybody like in their place well, in the universe. The, as you talked about, I think one of the key things that 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 uh uh that works so well about it in the character of Pike in the first season really establishes is so much of his arc of that is the acceptance of his own fate, right? And that yeah. gives us an interesting place to go to. Not only do we know what's going to happen to Pike, Pike knows what's going to happen to Pike. Well, and he and tries to prevent it only to discover that, the, the of course, the most heroic action he could take is accepting that it has to happen for the greater good. That is the biggest theme of the the show thus far in my opinion is knowing where things will end and either coming to terms with that or fighting it or trying to make the best of the time you have i mean i think metatextually spock is also on the same trajectory as opposed to pike though who has like literally been given a vision of him ending up in the beep beep chair uh we as the audience know where Spock ends up. And that's right. why the, the crossover episode with, straight, with uh, Lower Decks was basically the show being like, well, Boimler's from the future. He knows where Spock ends up as well. And he's the audience surrogate in this episode. So like, how do we cross the, the T here in terms of like, but that can't be the Spock that we end up with because this guy's going in through this like emotional journey with Chapel right now. Yeah, but I, 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 you know, I always hate to be this guy, but I'm sorry to the Spock and Chapel shippers. It doesn't work out. It doesn't work we, out. Yeah, we know that. But I think you know, and, and oh my God, was I excited when they mentioned Richard Corby that she was going to go uh, intern with Richard Corby, who she will become engaged to uh, later. And I'm like, ah. And um, I, I was a big Spock and Tapring shipper, and I know that doesn't work out either. <laughs> oh, that spectacularly doesn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I was never to bring Shipper because I know she will betray him and right. make him fight Kirk to the death on Vulcan. <laughs> so, um, but like, but then there are also huge moments like you see the first time that Kirk and Spock meet, and you're just like, ah. and they connect how mutually annoyed they are at Kirk's brother. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, and that's another thing too. I know what happens to Sam Kirk, and it, Oof, it's not yeah. good. It's not great. He's going, he's going down. Um, you know, I mean, I do. I love the way that Kirk is seeded throughout the show, too. Let's talk about that because, you know, I, you, you've known me long enough to know that, uh, you know, I'm always talking about Jim Kirk. Jim Kirk is Kirk my, is your guy. Yeah. Kirk is my guy, man. There's no. So, you know, you bring Kirk into the show and I'm really going to be. I've really liked what Paul Wesley has done with the part. Um, I know there are people who don't and that's fine. But uh I think he's done a good job of 
playing Kirk, not playing Shatner. And I think that is really, really tough. That was the hill he had to climb. And I think that was probably the most difficult performance you were going to have to get out of somebody who's portraying a member of the original crew is because Shatner has, as Kirk, has been parodied to death. And because Kirk and Shatner... Like the where that where one begins and the other ends is much tougher to Spock has Spock characteristics. Spock Larry Nimoy created those, but Larry Nimoy isn't Spock. Shatner is kinda always Kirk. Like if you see Shatner at conventions, he's Kirk. I mean, like the, that's well, the thing, is right. Nimoy wrote a whole book saying he isn't Spock. Right. That's the <laughs> thing though, but it's like it's because you, you can you can you can separate that in a weird way, even though it's yeah. so iconic and was played by this guy for so long, you can still go, here are the tenants of Spock. But when you start writing the tenants of Kirk, you start to just go like, well, it's cause that's what Shatner would do. Right. And I think, I mean, Chris Pine, I think also did an incredible job with this in the, in the Kelvin timeline movies as well of you, you'll, you're always doing, you're always going to be some doing somewhat of a Shatner impression, mm-hmm. you know, whether you do that vocally or whatever, but like, they're all you just can't escape like a lot of you know main characters of shows right if you're playing if you're and i'm not going down this this rabbit hole too far but if you're playing thomas magnum you're playing tom Selleck. you know i mean like that's sort of thing where it's just like i think a lot of the leads of these classic tv shows become so iconic because of the actors who play them and because especially as the shows go on the more they start to merge with their characters, at least in the minds of the public. Sure. So Kirk, I think, has the, you know, Nimoy could take off the eyebrows and the ears, and suddenly he becomes somebody else. Shatner is Shatner as leading man, you know, like that's just, it's it's like, I mean, so much of the, one of the biggest things that they changed between the pi- the two pilots was you need a, you need more of a leading man in here. Mm-hmm. And they bring in Shatner. Because I will say, you know, no offense, Jeff Hunter was a fine actor who played uh, Pike in the original series. It's, a lot of it was on the writing, but Pike is dull. The network was not wrong to go, this guy can't carry this show. Right. And you have this kind of like genial everyman in Pike that this show, Strange New Worlds, presents as true, but all because mm-hmm. like he's a guy who likes to cook and yeah ice fish and like has he's not the swaggering badass that jim kirk is right but this show is giving us the nuance of a man who knows his fate is to be a hero and trying Mm -hmm. to accept that and live with that but also like in discovering that you can't change certain things without tremendous ripple effects and i think that's a big part of the show's themes with every character, but Pike is the one where it's like written on his sleeve. Right, exactly. And that's, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, the, the idea of it was so compelling in the, in the first season is watching him accept that and just going like, well, if that's what happens, that's what happens. Right. Uh, you know, that's just then, then so be it. And he, you know, he tried to prevent that, but, it's, and then of course you get the ripple effects, right? Of, well, if I don't do that, then these people I save die. Right. And is that, Am I selfish enough to choose my, not even life, but, you know, well, basically my life, right? Um, So the Kirk thing is interesting because you have this character who you know is destined to sit in that chair. Yeah. 
And so we have this character who we want to introduce. We want to have him have a relationship with these characters before he assumes that position. And like, I can only imagine that strange new worlds ends with the full crew assembled on the ship. And like where this show ends, the original series could just pick right up. Right. Yeah, exactly. One. And they've even talked about that and they have been slowly introducing Uh, each member of the original series crew into the show. And and they talk about, we will eventually see everyone. Yeah, of course. Like Like series. I I figured that was the promise of this show from day one. Right. But I mean like, Oh my God, when you get to the season two finale and you meet Montgomery Scott, you know, and you're just like, having Scotty show up was a lot of fun. I want Carol Kane and Scotty to have many adventures in season three. Oh, Carol Kane is so great. As the ship's engineer, um, yeah. who's a totally new creation yeah. of uh, her whole alien race and everything, <laughs> I do like where they talk about like on once again when they talk about the behind the scenes stuff and they just go like, I don't know, this character should be like, uh, she's really like Carol Kane. Should we just get <laughs> Carol Kane? And literally, and then Carol Kane going like, I never expect to be asked to be in Star Trek. You know, <laughs> of all the things I expect to come across my desk, Star Trek. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, why not? And 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 it's great. It is, you know, it is a yeah. Carol Kane part. The, the, the Lanthanites is a creation that, like, did we really need another immortal species living on Earth secretly for thousands of years? I guess so. Why not? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, I do sort of like things uh, like that, right? Where it's sort of like, oh, the, the world was already star trekky before anyone even knew it right there well, were, there, we were all we were already in a sci-fi show on planet earth we just weren't aware of it right yeah and they've played more and more with that over the years in terms of like oh temporal cold war but um <laughs> nothing complex about that look and the fact that this show leans into that is actually like tickled my fancy because it's just like really you're gonna deal with like one of the most convoluted enterprise pop plot lines ever as as someone who is a big uh enterprise fan like i am uh i love that they have not dropped enterprise like even star trek beyond so much of the the idris elba's backstory was about that he was a veteran of the zindi war and mm-hmm. stuff like that you're like what are you talking about that's <laughs> Because that's the only timeline that's shared. That's the only uh, Enterprise is the only show that is the same in both timelines. Because the oh, Kelvin, yeah. because the Kelvin is destroyed, uh, the Narada comes back in time after Enterprise. So Enterprise is the same. Those events occur the same in both Prime and Kelvin timelines. Can you imagine Archer interacting with anyone from the Abrams movie? Like, <laughs> there's the line. Scotty in the first movie has the thing about he was banished to that planet because he lost the Admiral Archer's prize beagle in a yeah. transporter accident. And that's why he's been uh, given the outpost on the ice planet. So uh, apparently that Scotty uh, pissed off Archer. So, you know. <laughs> Somewhere, Bacula is just like, fuck this guy in particular. Yeah. Ice planet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> I would love to see, and I know there's there's uh, there's a lot of fans who would love to see Bacula return in some capacity. In, uh, <sighs> yeah, in, in, I don't know. In, Pro- uh, Prodigy, think- Prodigy has given us the possibility of uh, like 
hologram captains, so anything's yep. possible at this point. I mean, an idea I've heard bandied about, and we'll see if this ever comes to be, is instead of doing another Picard-type show, he's doing an anthology show where every season there'd be like an Archer season and a Janeway season. Like, basically individual miniseries about characters as an ongoing show. I would kind of love that. Honestly, I'd even I would, I'd even break it down further. Give me like singular episodes. Just have the whole anthology like series vibe like Marvel's What If. Yeah, and the, and actually, I mean, something that I think I don't know how much we've talked about it here, but the the that uh, has been great for Star Trek currently is the IDW uh, comic series has really done a lot to greater expand the Star Trek universe. And they had a book called Waypoint that was exactly what yeah. you're but they were just individual one-off stories about different characters from Star Trek. Um, also, I highly recommend that currently they're doing a whole Marvel shared universe of Star Trek comics currently. Hmm. It is great. They have just a they have just a Star Trek flagship title, and then there's also Star Trek Defiance, I think it is, which is like the Dirty Dozen with Worf. Which is didn't they just have like a, some big crossover event with all their books? Yeah, they just did Day of Blood, which is the the a whole thing about uh, uh, Klingons. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, they're they're doing a lot of stuff. I haven't I haven't played the I, that that's on my it's the next game I really want to play is Star Trek Resurgence. Um, is that kind of like that Telltale style game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's 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 whatever the new company formed by the former Telltale people. They've made a Star Trek game, and I've heard a lot of Trekkies raving about it because that Telltale format is perfect for the Star Trek universe. Totally, it's more about diplomacy, more about how you interact <laughs> with people than it is about firing phasers and stuff like that. Not that there isn't some phaser firing in it too, from what I gather. But well, you just want that notification up in the corner that says the captain will remember this. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, uh, you know, and so that's 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 on my list to to play that. But so I mean, yeah, there's there's no question. Strange New Worlds is part of this whole. It's interesting. The game is called Resurgence, sort of resurgence of Star Trek. Not that it ever fully went anywhere, but it does feel. I I, I feel more like it's a return to what it should be. It really mm. does. I love Star Trek movies. My I, I think I've talked about it before. My main fandom you know like my my favorite things are next generation and the original series movies more than the original series itself i love that the 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 original cast films mm-hmm. uh i've seen wrath of khan more times than i can even count um you know i just think it's perfect but uh so i do love the movies i've definitely seen never- first contact more than any single episode of next gen oh i love first contact man first contact might be my favorite star trek movie period um, I just think that movie is amazing, um, but uh, the well, that's what I'm saying though. But it, but it, it is at its core an ongoing. It feels like it should be a TV show. These are the voyages, right? Like yeah. Um, and that's even why like people talk about like Picard season three is the best next generation movie. It's like yeah, because it's ten hours, right? <laughs> one of the one of the big. I love the next generation movies. You know, I'm 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 the biggest Nemesis defender. Yeah, you defend um, Nemesis and Insurrection like nobody else. Yeah, man, because they're great. Um, but the thing about them, I, I I do recognize the shortcomings of just the format is there are seven main characters and two hours is not enough time for you to get, you know, you start to go like, yeah, well, you know, Dr. Crusher doesn't really do anything in the movies. And you're right. like, sorry, Crusher and Troy, you're kind of taking a backseat. I mean, and, and even by the end of those, even like Warf, what does Worf do in Nemesis, right? He's just kind of around uh, because it, it does, all, you know, movies have to become 
about those movies are about Picard and Data, really. And, and much mm-hmm. like the original series, movies really became about Kirk and Spock because movies need sort of one to two central protagonists. So that's why when you talk about, well, yeah, Picard season three gave 10 hours, so you can get some of the, I mean, probably the best Beverly Crusher story in anything is in season three of Picard. I mean, that's the most you even had to do from the show. Like, it is so contingent on that relationship. So um, weird that that's like the most impactful Crusher and her son story, and Wesley is not. Not Wesley, it. yeah. <laughs> well, he's out traveling. Remember, he's traveling. Uh, he's, he's, yeah, he's busy being the traveler or a the yeah. traveler. I'm not sure. That thing's yeah. Weird. He's a traveler, I believe, is correct. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, man, because he's got he's got to go places, you know. Uh, he's got to travel. Yeah, he's got to travel between worlds and such. Uh, sure. So, uh, but yeah, no, that is interesting. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, I, I do. I, we we touched on the Kirk uh, time travel episode, but I also want to talk about. We haven't really talked about Laon Anunian Singh. That's who true. Is this character who's almost kind of has the, in some ways, the reverse of of uh, if Pike's storyline is accepting that he's a hero, her storyline is accepting that she's born of a villain. Well, it's accepting that she's not inherently evil due to that association. Right. right. The idea that and she carries with her the blood of the greatest Star Trek villain. The the you know, the basically Star Trek's Hitler, right? Like Yeah, and and the whole evolution of Khan as like this grand arch nemesis obviously was not something planned in that no. episode Space Seed. Um But it is there's a, one- there's a one-off line about him being the greatest of Earth's tyrants, you know? Yeah, exactly. But to the point where Kirk in that episode is not, not going to say like, oh yeah, I had a relationship with his great-great-grandsister or whatever. Um, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, and th- but this Kirk didn't. Sure, no, I know that. But yeah. it's interesting that she, La'an, the character, is such a Gordian knot of continuity where that stuff is concerned. And the fact mm-hmm. that she is so central in that episode that takes on the timeline complaints so directly when you have a Romulan saying like, yeah, the, the events of world war three have drifted like 20 years due to time travel fuckery. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is interesting that you have this character who is kind of the Spock of the show in that she is this like emotionally closed off, very like focused on the job at hand character and that we've ha- we've taken two seasons to kind of crack this PTSD shell that she has, because you also have this backstory of not only is she the descendant of Khan, that's a big deal, but also yeah. she was abducted by the Gorn as a child and had to survive like fucking Lord of the Flies in a Gorn the, world. The Gorn, I'm talking about another thing that, that, that where the Gorn only appear in two episodes of Star Trek at all. All right, so they're in Arena and they're in one episode of Enterprise. And yet they are iconic. But talk about now, such a smart decision when you talk about this show taking things that were briefly established. It's like, okay, well, we're going to take the Gorn to make them the big bad of our series. Right. They're going to be, they're going to be, you know, the, to what the Borg were to Next Generation is this oncoming threat that is ever around and, you know, could come and 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 i mean and i know i know people don't like the stuff there are some people who don't like what they've done to the gorn 
However, what, we know them more like monstrous and stuff, making them more monstrous, giving them the sort of uh, xenomorph way of, of of them hatching gornlings, um, that sort of stuff. But once again, it's another thing where it's like there is so little known about the gorn that mm. they almost are a blank slate. Like they're they're lizard like. That's about as much as we know about them, and they have the capability of space travel, which is always a Star Trek thing. Or people where like. How the hell did the Klingons figure out warp drive? Like <laughs> these cultures that are so inhuman and so like clearly like intelligence is not at the forefront or like scientific discovery at least that it's so fascinating that like and yet they've cracked warp drive. Um, well, and that's something they've had to do a lot of work on this season in particular where the Gorn are concerned because when we're introduced to them, they are this like xenomorph alien kind of straight up monsters. And the fact that we're shown their life cycle in this, like, very horrific, specific way makes us believe, like, okay, they are monsters, but, like, at a certain point, that just breathe like, that uh, eliminates the weak in this, like, horrific Darwinian existence they have. And at a certain point, they become intelligent, upright, sapient creatures. They are just birthed of this, like, horrific right. process because that their we, culture produces. In in proper canon of like the shows and movies and stuff, because people have written comics about them, and even sure. that Kel- that Kelvin timeline video game had the Gorn as its main antagonist. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, you know, literally, we've seen like two Gorn. So I mean, that's the whole thing about like that's not the Gorn, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't and, know, man. Anything could be the Gorn one, at this point. Yeah, that one guy in a lizard costume, which at the time was pretty cool, man, for the sixties. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of the things I like is they still are primarily guys in costumes. Yeah, what they do no, the, the still, practical Gorn, mostly practical. Yeah, and like all the little Gorn babies are all puppets and stuff like that. There's a great once again, if you watch the Ready Room, there's a great explanation of how they do that. And the oh, the poor stunt guy that has to be in that Gorn costume though, it's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, I'm um, sure. He's got a full head, and he's up on the stilts to make the weird sort of lizard legs and stuff uh-huh. like that. Yeah. And then they do the thing you should do, which is where they, you know, he's in the green suit, and so then you just frame out the parts of his legs so they bend in an inhuman manner. It's a good mixture of practical and digital, which I always think is is the best, of course. And I think we've seen Star Wars has done a lot of great stuff in the TV shows with that as well. Uh, Ahsoka right now, especially, like, we're in a golden age of weird creature puppets in sci-fi TV. I love it. But I think, to me, what they do with Grogu on The Mandalorian is like, that's the best. It's like, sometimes he's a puppet, sometimes he's not a track, sometimes he's fully CG, depending on what he needs to do. It's like, perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. Whatever yeah. you need to do, what's going to be best for that moment? Same thing with the Gorn. They are puppets. They are guys in costumes, or they are CG. Uh, by the way, Spock fighting a Gorn in zero gravity in that suit just rules. It just <laughs> rules. I don't know what to tell you, man. Yeah. Like there, there are times. I mean, I, I one of the things that is we talked about this. There, there was sort of this. It's like we got to action up Star Trek. It's like, well, Star Trek isn't immune to action. Like that's not. It's not like oh, Star Trek can't have action. The episode this where the Gorn are introduced is just literally Kirk fighting a bunch of people in an arena. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing where it's like, it's literally called arena. Um, but uh, Kirk makes gunpowder. It's awesome. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, that's the thing about Star Trek can have action. It's just, it's not all action. And I think the action that's in Stranger Worlds is awesome. 
when they let these characters throw down because they can't. And and also, I love I I love anytime they let Spock be a badass. Oh, sure. Uh, Spock can be a huge badass. Uh, should it be logical to do so? One of my favorite bits ongoing in Voyager, as I'm rewatching it now, is Tuvok like calmly explaining to some schmuck on a planet, like. Due to my Vulcan physiology, I am far stronger than you. Please do not attempt to fight. They throw a punch. He just grabs it, twists their hand, and forces them down. It is something that, that, that people talk about, like, what uh, the, the strength level of the different alien races. And Vulcans are one of the strongest alien races. They just don't use it a lot because it's often not logical to commit violence. You know, right, so the yeah. thing with, like, but should it be necessary, they will fuck you up, man. Yeah, so seeing... Uh, we haven't talked about him a lot, but, like... Ethan Peck has a lot to carry in the show for being us mm-hmm. us one of the Spocks at this point. Yeah, one um, of the Spocks. Uh, and I think he does a fantastic job in this show of balancing the getting to the actual humanity of an inhuman character, right? Or a half-human character, I guess I should say. Really wrestling with that, which the, you know, just based on the limitations of 1960s television, Nimoy only got to do sparingly, right? Like mm-hmm. the 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 dichotomy of uh, he is a child of two worlds, which is the most interesting thing about Spock. He is happy, lest we forget. Spock sort of, I mean, this is an interesting thing, in the, and I think it's something that, that this show does a great job when you talk about it as a prequel, is the Spock of the original series is mostly, he's really trying to live the Vulcan life. He really yeah. is Vulcan. Are you more, there's an episode literally where they're like, are you more human or Vulcan? And he's like, I am Vulcan. I consider myself to be Vulcan. But of course, that's a lie, right? Like, I mean, because I mean, like, he's lying to himself to say that that. But so here we see a much rawer Spock, though, who really hasn't settled between those two halves of himself, and there's a real battle within him. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I mean, especially the relationship with Chapel, right? Including like, I feel love for this woman. The whole episode we got in season two where he is stripped of his Vulcanness for oh, a God. little while. Such a good episode. Such uh, a good episode. So well written and so incredibly well played by Ethan Peck. Yeah. And, and it's kind of more of a goofy one. But it's a goofy one that is getting to the heart of a character in a way that this show can really excel at in a way that, that like the thing, original series was limited. That's the thing that's so great about it is every time they do something goofy, it is for... A reason the musical episode actually advances the plot and the characters mm-hmm. it's not just let's do this because that'll be goofy let's make spock you know fully human because that'll be silly it's like no it's actually saying something about the character and advancing the arc of the show that's always the thing i respect about this is it never it never feels like hey man let's do a musical episode it almost feels like we want to do this. Oh, we could do that with a musical episode. You know, it almost feels like the gimmick comes secondary to this is the story we're telling, which is how you should tell a story. Obviously. Right. Even the crossover episode with Lower Decks, which is like, it's what is for so long been a stunt in the t- TV world, right? Like yeah. for as long as there have been sitcoms, there have been the episodes where a character from another sitcom showed up at some point. Um, when Frazier's plane got diverted to the airport in wings, you know? Look, it, it, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah. Uh, h- how many people uh, from different shows uh, eventually found their way into Cheers or yeah. uh, onto the set of Happy Days? Like, Right. Oh, Happy Days. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, when exactly. Or- when Orc from Orc shows up on Happy Day, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of that was like backdoor piloting and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, reverse yeah, yeah. engineering to create a new um, show. Do you have any idea how many shows are connected all in the family? It's insane. Um, right. But what Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks were doing was also commenting on this idea of legacy that is tied yeah. so deeply into Star Trek as a whole and how it's become one of the larger themes of the franchise, how this story doesn't ever stop. Like you say, it yeah. is the the continuing voyages and how the people in the future are affected by the uh, the legacy of the characters the from the past. That, the thing that's so amazing about that Lower Decks crossover is it doesn't feel gimmicky at all. No. Like, it really doesn't feel like it's just like, hey, man, let's do this, and it's just a lark. It's actually a really good episode of Lower Decks, and it's actually continued, or it's a good episode of uh, Change the Worlds, I say, and it's continued into Lower Decks. They they reference that stuff in the current season. You mean like that incident with Pike we're not supposed to talk about? Um, well, but it's also, it plays into the character growth of the characters from Lower Decks. Because one of the that- huge strengths of Lower Decks, I think, is the fact that all of these characters who could so easily just be static Simpsons characters are actually having to go through character growth. I mean, the fact that so much of this season is about them no longer being Lower Decks. They're way, actual yeah, officers yeah. now, right? Like, I mean, they're, they're, they're the Lower Decks of... But they're actual ranked officers, mm-hmm. and they have to do stuff. And you're going like, yeah, the idea that that show has as much ongoing character work as it does. When, as you're talking about, if it was staticky Simpsons family guy like that, we would all just be like, we wouldn't bag on it for that, because we would just be like, well, that's what we expect of this. The fact that that show exceeds what it what anyone would expect it to be is what's amazing yeah. about it. It's, it's good on top of it. it. It's much better than it has any business being. And I put so much of that on, on showrunner Mike McMahon because he has pushed what easily could have been, you know, nine times out of ten. Most showrunners would just be like, yeah, whatever. We'll just, you know, th- that that show could be uh, just an ancillary side thing that they farted out. Sure. Yeah. And look, easily. And, and, and I said most of the time, most other showrunners, it would have been. No offense to his other work, but Solar Opposites feels like what they could have been, right? And Solar Opposites is fine. I think it's a perfectly serviceable cartoon comedy in the vein of Rick and Morty. But it... Which I also am not... I mean, and I know that's unpopular today, but I'm not like a massive Rick and Morty guy. It's fine. I I think the hardest part about Rick and Morty are the Rick and Morty fans sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But... It's the same thing when I see, I always say, if I see a guy dressed as Deadpool at a Comic-Con, I'm like, oh, Christ. Right. And there are good Deadpool comics, and we both like the Deadpool movies, but like... Deadpool, I love Deadpool as a character, but the guys who, like, have to be Deadpool at conventions, please stop. And you can dress as Deadpool, but you don't have to act like Deadpool. That's the other thing, too, is like, you you know Ryan Reynolds. Um, (laughs) And who is? That man is a treasure. Um, Sure. But I think one of the things that, say what you will about Discovery, but one of the things it was trying to do was have a Star Trek show that had ongoing character growth and development. And I think that is something that every show beyond Discovery has also attempted to do, even Picard. Because it well, because that's what people expect out of TV today. I mean, there's no question that Star Trek needed to evolve and be Star Trek for current television, right? And and the streaming era, which involves more ongoing plots and things you can follow, character development. You actually want to feel like each episode is actually advancing a story, not just 
everything returns to the status quo, you know. And 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 ninety Star Trek has that at times. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Picard getting assimilated by the Borg obviously comes to define his character forever. But, you know, he also had to do 28 other things a season because they all said that. So it's like sometimes they could deal with the trauma of that. Mm-hmm. But like that didn't, <laughs> not every episode became about that. And I think that's what this show is. Sometimes Darmok and Jalad are at Tanagra and that's just how the episode goes. That guy on Lower Decks is one of my favorite things, that they have someone from that alien race. Lieutenant Kayshawn, yeah. Shaka when the walls fall. (laughs) (laughs) And the episode where Ransom understands him and they connect the season was so funny. (laughs) Aww. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, yeah. Hey, I pay attention. (laughs) Yeah. Domaka Gelada, Yeah. I do, yeah, but when he, when he hit on the woman, she rejects him and he just goes, ah, shaka when the walls fall. Um, <laughs> so funny. Um, and once again, very specific episode, if you know Darmok, which is a famous <laughs> episode, of course, but sure. like, still, it's like, that's one episode, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, exactly, that's just a thing. So, uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's sort of like, Strange New Worlds is like, what what if we could just take the half of the next generation episodes in the season that are great and, and just make those, you know, like, <laughs> I forget which filmmaker said it, but it was some, in some conceited fashion. It's like, what if we just cut out all the bad stuff and only filmed the good stuff? <laughs> yeah, it is sort of that. Right? <laughs> um, well, what was I love is it, I think it's a John Ford quote. Maybe it was John Houston. I don't know. It's one of those old filmmakers who talked about like a great film has three good scenes and no bad scenes. Mm, mm-hmm. I feel like a good episode of television has three great episodes and no bad ones, you know, like, right. <laughs> and so I think that, the, but no, I think, uh, yes, ongoing plot is huge. The question is like, I, I think of discovery and, and, and by the way, I highly recommend there's a whole article on entertainment weekly that talks about Brian Fuller, who was the creator of discovery, who ended up leaving the show, I think before they'd even shot anything, hmm. uh, it mapped out a lot of the first season. About basically uh, that show was not what it was set up to be. Just the initial idea for Discovery was it was going to be an anthology show that changed every season. Hmm. And every season would be set in a different part of the Star Trek universe and timeline. And so only the first season would have been about that. He wanted it to be more like something like American Horror Story in that sense. Um, and there was a lot of stuff that they was like, this is too expensive. Once again, the story of Star <laughs> Trek's life, right? You can't do that. That's right. going to... So, Discovery, I think one of the... Like I said one of the biggest problems I have with Discovery, just as a show across the board, is it's never settled into what it wants to be. It was a prequel for two seasons, and then when uh, people don't seem to vibe with that, and it kind of doesn't make sense, and now it's set 900 years in the future. And you're like, yeah, there's an interesting idea. And it's like, well, for, then... For, but- and from what I've heard, the the stuff in the far future is actually interesting. And like I said, once the show's over, I, I fully intend to like sit down and kind of binge through it all. But the, the interesting thing about setting in the future for me is that it took away a lot of the complaints about like how it's affecting canon. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. uh, I do think, well, then you should have just started there. But two, then it also made it like, and now I don't have to pay attention to all mm-hmm. just I just never, it never, that's the thing. It just it never clicked with me. And if it did with you, awesome. There's a, yeah. there's a, there's a, 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 a tea place in Portland that is entirely based around Star Trek Discovery. But Star Trek, but primarily Star Trek Discovery. Really? Um, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Because everybody had to tell me about that. John, there's a sure. Star Trek tea house, uh, and I mean it's it's about. But they're they're those guys are really Discovery fans. Okay, and I'm like that's great. That show really, you know, I mean that's the thing I said that's that's so great about there being multiple Star Trek shows now is you can choose to engage with them. I really liked Prodigy. Um, yeah. I think I'm, uh, I'm hoping I, that second season eventually gets put back put back out. Yeah. I thought Prodigy was great. Um I thought in terms of it being definitely aimed at a younger audience but not talking down to them. Um I think it's something that was needed, you know. I think it's sort of the idea of you know capturing the next next generation of Star Trek fans, right? Like uh, and it did it in a way similar to uh what's worked so well about the Star Wars animated stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, at least starting from a place that appeals to a YA audience, but then still making it smart and still evolving it in a way that is an engaging storyline that actually matters in the universe and is a pretty good Voyager sequel. Yeah, and that talk about like stealth sequels to things. That is just kind of a straight up what I've seen of season two, like the hunt for Chakotay seems to be the the primary uh we plot. Get, we gotta get Chakotay back, man. <laughs> Which he's just out there somewhere. He always <laughs> has been. <laughs> he's always been out there. Yeah, he, he's always been in here, man. Yeah. <laughs> the real Picote was the friends we made along the way. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's great. I, mean, I said they're, they're definitely, and there also is, I think, something we, we haven't talked about that one of the reasons I think a lot of this stuff is working is they really do have a core creative team at the who aren't necessarily running each show but there is a guiding hand to massaging all of this so it fits together right well, uh, and, you, and that, you that talked about person, uh who's sort of the de facto feige for lack of a better term for yeah. kind of the the all things run through him much like we had but that was why star trek the 90s worked so well was we had rick berman in that position as sort of the keeper of Trek. Right. And we also have uh, Akiva Goldsman, who's kind of like been two handing a lot of this stuff as well. Two handing a lot of, and strange new worlds is a lot. That's really his baby. Mm -hmm. uh, Akiva Goldsman who, you know, I, I, people always bag at Akiva Goldsman because he, he's credited with writing Batman and Rob. And it's like, he also has an Academy Award for his script for A Beautiful Mind. But sure, yeah, he wrote Batman and Rob. Like, you know, it's just like any screenwriter is going to have some shit on their resume when you're just a working Hollywood yeah, writer. Yeah, I'm sure he wrote Batman and Robin before Hasbro got their hands on it. Yeah, No, that's the thing, too. That's the other thing, too. It's like, yeah, he's the credited screenwriter on it. But yeah, um, I don't I think say, he was writing something to become more toyetic. No, especially because he was showrunner on Titans, which tells me, oh, you have a you have a real love for DC in a way that I don't think was, uh, uh, that was that. Um, right. so yeah, that's sort of the thing. <laughs> uh, so I do think, yeah, it's like maybe leave off on that. And he's doing an amazing job on strange new worlds in particular, but yeah, there, there, there is sort of a core creative team there. Jenny Lumet is also, uh, in there a lot. One of the things they've done that I love is talking about not only embracing the novels, but they brought in a lot of the novelists who write the Star Trek novels to write, uh, Kirsten Byers, who writes a lot of the Voyager sequel novels, which are great, by the way. Um, if, if you're a Voyager fan, I highly recommend any of her um, uh, Voyager novels, which continue after the show. They're fantastic. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, the, 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 
there's definitely a, an embracing of all of the stuff, and there's been a more conscious effort to, uh, and I think because it's less Star Trek is a little less lore based, even though there's like timeline stuff. Uh, they haven't had to throw out as much of the canon as, and I also think there's always just been a more maybe, maybe because Star Trek has always had shows and movies and novels and stuff running side by side. There's less of this like the the whole controversy with the throwing out the expanded universe of Star Wars. Sure, yeah. Well, there's always been like, look, I never expect any crew of any Enterprise to actually meet the X Men at any point, but that well, is a book always- that happened. There's always stuff like that where it's like, well, that's just a lark. But then there's other stuff. I always feel like because Star Trek is so episodic, a lot of the novels I read are like, well, sure, Kirk could, or the Kirk and the Enterprise could have gone on that mission between episodes at some point. There's a lot of stuff where it's like, yeah, why didn't, you know, who's to say that didn't happen? Star Trek was always based on missions and stuff like that. I think a lot of the post-Next Generation stuff has been retroactively wiped from canon by Picard. Yeah. Just because of the nature of like, there are a bunch of novels that I've read that take place after Nemesis mm-hmm. and, and get into like Picard's dealings with the Romulan councils and stuff like that. But now there's a whole bunch of new novels I've read that are set in and around Picard. And in fact, recommendation for we're, we're always big uh, audio drama fans on here. Audible has an original audio drama with Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd that is a. <laughs> Uh, seven and Rafi adventure that was made exclusively as an audio drama for audible and it's great you should check it out i want them to do more star trek audio dramas like that i am excited because um uh, andy robinson who played garrick on deep space nine just wrote a garrick novel and he's reading the book for audible that's awesome yeah man i'm so excited about that more garrick who everyone knows is the best deep space nine character um (laughs) Everyone loves Garrick. This is Odo Erasure, and I won't have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Odo will always have. I mean, Odo is, is of course, my favorite because, of course, he's 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 the uh, he's the last honest lawman on a. I mean, you know, look, I love Deep Space Nine because it was it's a western. It basically is. It's about a guy cleaning up a town in space. Um, <laughs> that's the thing that we're saying about yeah. Star Trek has always, I think, had. Uh, I, I like I said I think I think it's interesting to see the growing pains of Star Wars, yeah. right? When we compare the two franchises, because Star Trek has always kind of had all these different pieces to it, and I think Star Wars fans are—it's that thing about—is Star Wars isn't special anymore. I think a lot of Star Wars fans are, are learning to have to accept, and I think some more than others, that uh, <laughs> like there's gonna be this flavor of star Wars and that flavor of star Wars. And this, I just read a really interesting article. For every Andor, there shall be a book of Boba Fett. Well, and I think that, but I, I just read an article that talked about like, uh, the, 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 the Andor problem, right? It's people going like, well, it's not Andor. It's just like, if you expect everything to be Andor, you're not going to like most star Wars. Cause like Andor is <laughs> the outlier yeah. here, right? The yeah. incredibly intelligent, incredibly philosophical adult drama in star Wars that's the rarity. And also, they were talking about, like, that doesn't mean you then have to shit on season three of Mandalorian for being pulpy, you know? Right? right. Like, it's the thing about, like, it is and, that thing. And Ahsoka right? being, like, a weird transcendental force journey and about, like, the nature of spirituality. Yeah, we'll talk about Ahsoka when we do this uh, on, uh, on the next, next month's Oh, panel. I'm excited. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is interesting to hear like people go like Star Wars. I mean, literally, we go like the dialogue's too slow and there's too much silence between lines. You're like, okay. Jesus, that's a very specific complaint. You know, you just go like that. And they're like, yeah, man, it's kind of uh it's not more slowly, but it's more contemplative. It's more, it's a, it's a very thoughtful show. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing with, like you said, well, the, Star Trek has always been that. It's like, well, D Space Nine was the more, you know, politically minded show. And Voyager was a, was a, a you know, an adventure show where you're stranded somewhere. And, a bit more of a romp and a, a swashbuckling adventure and, yeah, there's, you know, there's all these flavors of Star Trek and the movies feel different than the shows because you need them. I always think it's interesting that like we were talking about Insurrection, the big complaint I always hear about Insurrection, people go like, well, this could have just been an episode of the show. I'm like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, and upcoming, we have Starfleet Academy as a show and that's going to be a whole yeah. new like, yeah. look, are, are we are we getting like Dawson's Creek, but Star Trek? Is this going to be a bunch of like student school, yeah. college drama stuff? Because I'm kind of yeah. down for that. Did you see Tani Newsom is, a, is on the writing staff of that? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that. She is such a huge Star Trek fan. Oh, my God. Uh, I do recommend, if, if people aren't listening, The Pod Directive, mm-hmm. which is the podcast with her and Paula Tompkins talking about Star Trek. Fantastic. Because they are massive Trekkies. Yeah, absolutely. They and just she, had... I mean, an episode a while back where they were talking with um, with Frakes uh, about yep. the the crossover episode, and that was a really fun. Hearing the the three of them bounce back and forth was a lot of fun. There's a really good episode with John Hodgman, who yep. surprise surprise loves Next Generation uh, <laughs> most of all, uh, and Tani is uh, all in on DS9. That is yeah. her show, and and it, it's so nice to see. Uh, they also did a crossover with. Uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast Unspooled with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson, mm. um, which initially started as them doing, they watched through all the AFI top 100 movies uh, and now has just gone into, they just sort of do, but they did a, they did a Star Trek episode with Tawny and Paula Tompkins where they did watch Star Trek First Contact. Oh, cool. Uh, because now the show is they each pick movies and decide, is this movie worthy of being shot into space to represent human culture? And Paul was positing that if there was to be a Star Trek movie that would fit into that, it should be First Contact. I would 100% agree with, but I'm I, wildly I, biased where that's concerned. I love that movie. I mean, that yeah. is that is probably, like I said, my A number one Star Trek movie. I love, love, love that film. Um, and Freaks, man. And by the way, just as a... Get Freaks out of director jail, man. Let him make another movie. <laughs> I don't know his whole situation. He might be happy where he is, so I, I'm not going to say I mean, he's in director he, jail. But he has lobbied hard to direct the next Calvin movie. That would. I don't. I have very little hope that the uh, there will be a next Calvin movie. But yes, as that would of, be great. Uh, as of literally right now, the writer, the the person who's currently writing it, says it is on track. Whatever that means. Okay. Well, well, the writer should, should be on track. So, what is he doing? <laughs> you got to get it off the track and get it onto the track. Um, That's what, well, the writer's strike is over, so they can they can write stuff now legally again. Wow. So. Okay. As of this recording, the writer's strike has the writers guild has reached a tentative agreement. Nothing is finalized yet, There's, but no one is. No one is. They they have stopped striking. Yeah. 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 That is, it has to be ratified. But it's it, let's say what we've heard is it's unlikely 
that it won't be ratified. Nothing. We're hoping nothing blows up in the next 24 hours is basically right. the state we're in as we record this episode. Right. Exactly. Um, but uh, but the actors are still on strike, you guys. So. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's another interesting thing. And there's a lot of uh, nuance to that that I've been reading about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, see. all in all, Star Trek's in a good place. Star Trek's in a really good place, like a really strong place. And uh, it's getting some of the best critical reaction. Like the critics really love Strange New Worlds. And 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 critics at large, whatever that means, but like major publication media critics are not necessarily known for loving Star Trek. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's hated by them either, but I wouldn't I would say it's a it's a real up and down, like a lot of genre stuff. I do think there's always sure. sort of a uh unfair bias against genre fair i think we we can both say we've witnessed that a, a lot over the years i've uh the reviews are starting to come out for uh the the creator uh yeah. which is speaking of star wars uh 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 gareth uh, gareth edwards gareth edwards is the director of rogue one his new sci-fi mm-hmm. film and some of the early reactions and reviews i'm reading are just like this is a totally derivative but like visual spectacle of a sci-fi uh movie and i'm like yeah great sounds amazing we always talk about this sci-fi being derivative is to be expected. Like that's a weird criticism because like, right. well, like any genre, there are tropes mm-hmm. and they're unavoidable. And if you're making a thing about robots, it's going to probably be loosely similar to a lot of other things with robots. I think, and actually I was going to, well, I guess we'll do it on the show right now. Uh, I think we're going to do a, a ghost of the movies about the creator. Cool. Love it. Cause I am very, I've been excited about that since, that first trailer came out. Um, just excited that that. I mean, the other thing is uh, critics, and I, most of the reviews have been pretty positive. I've seen for that. Um, it's a huge budget sci-fi epic that's not based on anything or a sequel to anything. Right. That's super that rare these days. <laughs> that doesn't happen, man. Um, and uh, and you know, you had me at John David Washington and Robot War. You know, it's a Gareth Edwards movie, so I can't wait for every main character to die at the end. Or halfway through. Sometimes that happens, too. Yeah. Guy loves killing his main characters. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Darren Taylor Johnson makes it out of Godzilla. Oh, he's not the main character of that movie. Halfway through the movie, the main character dies and Godzilla becomes the main character. Yeah, that was one of my problems with it. Um <laughs> Man, we'll have to talk about, by the way, I guess as we transition out of this, I'll ask you about this because we usually talk about, you know, what's going on and, and we haven't talked about this, but uh, I take it you're excited for Monarch Legacy of Monsters? Oh, when the trailer for that dropped, I vibrated through a wall, John. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's got Kurt and Wyatt Russell and Godzilla. What is there to complain about? You, you, It's interesting. You started from where I'm excited about it. Too. I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch Godzilla. Are you Kurt Russell's on this? <laughs> oh. Matt Fraction is the showrunner on it. I too. know. I yeah. And I do feel like that's something where some of my complaints about those movies could be addressed in yeah, a longer we'll format that gives you more time to spend with human characters that can actually be developed. And there appears to be some kind of connection in that show to the John Goodman character from uh, Kong Skull Island. Which so, is like, my favorite he's one them. of the most compelling characters in that movie. Absolutely, and that is still my favorite of the MonsterVerse movies, because I think that actually really did tell an interesting human story alongside a kaiju story. Um, um, there's this whole, like, conspiracy 
theory angle on the MonsterVerse movies that has sort of been playing out over several movies, and this well, show and appears to be like directly uh, even even being a, a big budget Apple streaming show, it just can't rely on the the monster spectacle as much as a movie can yeah. in like an eight hour format. So I'm just curious what's going to be. This is definitely uh, going to be a different step in it. I'm sure we'll end up talking about that. How can we not? Uh, <laughs> Whether you want me to or not. Yeah, no, it will have no, I'm I'm very curious. I mean, look, I will watch Kurt Russell in anything. He is mm-hmm. one of my all-time heroes. Uh and Santa Claus or fighting giant monsters. I don't care, man. Either way, if he has an <laughs> eye patch or not, preferably he does have an eye patch. Mm, um I, apparently he's good. He's coming back as Snake Plissken, maybe. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm I'm not holding my breath on that one. That, They've been saying that for 30 years. Yeah, that's in development at the moment. Sure, okay. So, it's on track. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll see. Whatever. Yeah, it's, the, it's it's right up there with the Kel- the next Kelvin timeline movie, which makes... Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I do I do think, this is my, my pitch for the... Make the Kelvin timeline movie as a Paramount Plus original. Isn't that the... the all the Star Trek success is, is over on your streaming app... Just make start making movies for it as well. I've heard there's been rumblings about that too. I keep hearing rumblings about um, uh, like a movie that would bring together a lot of the crews and stuff like that. That'd be fun. That would be like a Paramount Plus thing, like an yeah. event that would bring together. Because treat, we've, treat we've, it like a Doctor Who anniversary special. Just something timey wimey happens and everybody gets to meet everybody. It'd be great. There's a really good IDW comic called uh, I believe it's the the Q Gambit. Where Q brings through time all the all the captains and all right. the crews. Perfect. So you get so you get young Shatner with Patrick Stewart and stuff like that. Why not, man? Sure. Shatner, yeah. by the way, has made it very much known. Anytime, Paramount. His phone is on. Sure. Come <laughs> back oh, any day. It's a oh. dangerous lover to pull. That's all I'll say. You know he's got the he's got the goddamn uniform on a hook in his closet, right? Like whether it fits or not. Yep. It, he's got it. It's it's the it's the glass with the hammer breaking case of emergency. <laughs> breaking case I'm captain. Coming back. I'm coming back. Uh, I'm back uh, because we talked about this. He's alive in the universe of Picard. There was that thing. I where guess. They, yeah, they the, showed the, the box with the, his name on it. The remains of James T. Kirk or under ice or whatever. Does that add any credence to those novels he wrote in the 90s where Kirk comes back to life? Yeah, the return. I don't know. Star Trek The Return. <laughs> I'm uh, back, baby. I'll rewatch Generations and prep, so we'll see where Kirk's at. Hey, Generations is awesome. Um, <laughs> it was fun. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, anything else that's got, got your fancy these days that you're interested in or... Uh... I mean, pop culture wise, it's all about Baldur's Gate three for me right now. Like, yeah, that's yeah, just that's where my everyone, head's at. People, I hear a lot of people talking about that. It's it is one of the best role playing games I've ever played, and it is a shoe in for Game of the Year, I'm sure, because it has done what so many role playing games on the consoles have tried to do, and that is replicate a like tabletop role playing game experience where you feel like you're in a world that is reacting to you and your decisions and this is a game that has fucking nailed it it's wild the level of detail that exists in this game from a studio that is not associated with any of the big like EA or Microsoft or Sony or any of them that Larian's just this 
weird little Swedish studio that makes a bunch of quirky RPGs. They got the D&D license, and Baldur's Gate 3 is a fucking masterpiece. It's actually set in, it's actually an official Dungeons and Dragons yep, thing. 100%. I mean, it, Baldur's Gate 1 and oh, 2 is, the, the, those games are set in the oh, like okay. main Forgotten Realms setting that we saw in the D&D movie. Oh, cool. Okay. I, I hear people talk about it in relation to that. It wasn't real. I mean, it's not not really my thing, but I keep sure. hearing people yeah. rave and rave and rave about it. And so it seems like uh, if you're into that sort of thing, this is like the apex of that kind of game, as you're indicating. Yeah, 100%. Um, they, they replicate the experience of playing 5th edition D&D in a way that is probably going to ruin 5th edition D&D for a lot of people because okay. it has a level of detail that is really tough to replicate when you're the dungeon master just describing right. something to somebody. Right. Where sure. I don't have a team of uh, background painters and artists filling in every detail of a map Wait. that I've drawn on a whiteboard. You don't? <laughs> Not most days, no. Uh. <laughs> Where's all our patron money going? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't talk about that, John. We don't talk about that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm talking about the patron money. Uh, I, uh, no surprise if you're talking about that, then I'll talk about this, which is exactly what people expect me to talk about. Uh, Equalizer 3. Yeah. Fantastic. It is so good. It might, I, I still am partial to part two is my favorite, but part three really does bring the trilogy in for a nice landing. And uh, it's, it's exceptional. Surprise, surprise. Even when I when I went uh, when I went and gave the guy, you know, had the guy scan my phone to go into the theater, he goes, I was about to say enjoy your movie, but uh, it's Denzel, so you're going to. <laughs> Classic. But I will say, it's the only franchise Denzel's done. These are the only sequels he's made. And uh, I think that says something that, you know, he really takes care with this franchise and character. And uh, I am curious about the idea of a prequel franchise starring John David as young Robert McCall. Um, could be interesting, uh, okay. but Equalizer three really worth your time. Also, very glad that it's been hugely successful because it's a R rated film aimed at adults. You know, it's not. Uh, if that's not is, Deadpool, they're usually not box office smashes. No, yeah, but except when it comes to Denzel, he is still one of the sort of last old guard where it's like people are like, well, I'll go see Denzel. You know, like, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's sort of like where it's it, sure people like him as the equalizer, but I think people really just in general, his movies just make money. People just like that guy. And that's yeah. not so much the case with a, a selling point for movies these days that someone is in them as much as it used to be. But if you're not is, Tom Cruise, yeah. Yeah, well, it's still and those, even then. It, yeah. And, you know, it was like it's it's really like it's like Cruise and Hanks and Denzel are kind of the only guys where it's like they're forward to, you know, right? Like. Sure. But it's 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 still the guys that were famous when we were kids, so I think that's interesting. But Equalizer Three is great. Uh, it is very violent, of course. So if you're not into um, Denzel just destroying human beings, um, <laughs> but it's also really good, like nice character drama. Uh, they're, they're, it's really well done. So uh, that's that's what I was excited about. Very cool. Uh, uh, that and uh, uh, if you if you're if you've seen all the lower decks and you're looking for something else in the animated sphere. I just last night watched the first two episodes of Kropopolis, mm. the new Dan Harmon uh, Fox animated show, which is set uh, in ancient Greece. And it's, mm -hmm. uh, I've sort of been describing it to people as Arrested Development if it was about Greek gods. <laughs> uh, okay. it's, it's really very funny. And it ha it stars Richard Iwade and Matt Berry as the main voices. So oh, all right. If you're a Garth Marenghi or IT crowd fan, it's great. It's very I'll definitely hard. have to check it out. 
yeah, it's it's worth your time. Um, but that's uh, so that's that's what's going on uh, for this month's uh, panel up. Of course, if you want more from us and uh, everything going on here with the Punch of Entertainment Network, you can head over to our patron page, which is patron.podbean.com/slash/punchup. There you can get cool exclusive bonus content from this show, from Campbell and Jones Meet the Monsters, from the I don't know if we previously mentioned, but we were just talking about role playing in general. But your role playing show material components, yes, indeed, uh, and uh, the the soon to be evolving action shelf will have information soon about what the new version of that that show's not going away as much as it's evolving into something bigger than you could possibly imagine. Like a Pokemon gaining enough levels to take on its nef- next form, you shall become something uh, familiar, but new. Yeah, well, I think we've earned that. We've seen enough shitty action movies now. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it'll, it, don't worry, there'll still be shitty action movies in there, but there may be some other stuff in there, too, is what that's going to be. So, once again, that's patron.podbean.com slash punchup. Uh, you can head over there. And, of course, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you like comment and subscribe below that does help the channel and ring that bell for your notifications so you don't miss a moment of what's going on here on the punch of entertainment network absolutely uh let us know what your favorite star trek show is in the comments below uh i'd be curious to get like a a sample size (laughs) i if it's enterprise i want to hear about it um (laughs) uh but and of course uh, we'll be back to uh regular may the panel episodes next week when we start through the star wars new hope manga adaptation is starting oh, next oh i'm so excited john uh, john i'm specifically excited for you to read the star wars manga because i know you're not a big manga guy so I'm not a big getting manga into this guy, adaptation is going to be a good time guy. it will be interesting there is a star trek manga too oh uh, that i have never that i have never read i don't actually know what it is i don't know if it's an adaptation of anything but hmm. it keeps coming up when i'm you know when i'm always just searching ebay for star trek comics well, okay, um, then. which i'm doing most of the time uh <laughs> so uh but uh yeah so that's gonna do it for this month's episode of panel up uh i've been john campbell and i will always be mike gergoni till next month we're gonna panel down yeah all right all john right. sorry to, to 